This episode is brought to you by Storyblocks. Storyblocks makes it possible for content creators like you to bring your stories to life without sacrificing your vision due to time, budget, or resources. Head to storyblocks.com slash 302010. That's storyblocks.com slash 302010. And let them help tell your story. Case News Snow White, Ben Affleck's Jack Ryan, and Whoopi Goldberg gets to a nunnery this week on 302010. Hello, everyone, and welcome to 302010, the Laser Time Network's weekly pop culture time machine, taking you on a journey back in uh, 3020 and 10 years ago into the pop culture past. We'll tell you all the dopest anniversaries of 3020 and 10 years ago. Get it from this week in time, this week being May 27th through June 2nd. We're going to look at that week in 1992, 2002, and 2012. And in case we haven't mentioned this before, it'll help you remember what you were doing, where you were, who you were dating, when your parents were divorcing, or like JR a few weeks ago, what you were doing on your birthday. Maybe seeing a new release in theaters. That's the worst Star Wars movie ever. Hi, I'm Chris Antista. Who else is with me? Dominique Nikendi. I'm the singing nun, Diana Goodman. Oh, goodness. I'm JR Rawls, and the nun said $20. Same as in town. See. I feel I should explain that reference. Yeah, that yeah. is a recurring joke, unlike. 12 different episodes of a TV show we're going to talk about in the first oh, segment. Oh, it's not its not the big movie highlight of the week. Okay. Yeah. Oh, and can I throw in Fuck the NRA? Yeah, of course. Anytime you want. All um, right, cool. If you're a gun owner and you care about gun rights, don't give your money to the NRA. They're not advocating go. for you. They're no. advocating for gun manufacturers. Yeah, they they're lobbyists for the you. gun industry. Yeah. Filled with bad facts. Yeah, uh, fuck them. Yeah, take all the dirty uh, Russian money. Them. Anywho, buying their president of corporate jet holy lord <laughs> oh some of that stuff was really funny though finding out what, where wayne lapierre's money was going where the it's money like, was going oh a couple's massage on vacation yeah that really helps mm-hmm. asshole six million dollar mansion anywho, anywho. Um, a very interesting week to revisit i found myself a little miffed uh, in the pop culture this week but i'm sure you guys have separate opinions it's an interesting one. Last week, I feel like, was kind of a barn burner. We had a whole bunch of, like, really good, interesting stuff. Yeah. And this week and next week are just sort of interesting. Yeah. Like, yeah. There's, there's a bunch of good movies, but it, they're not like your typical. It's not a Lethal Weapon 3 situation. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Or uh, what was that dope Lawrence Fishburne movie I loved? Anyway. Anyway, you got to listen to the whole catalog of 302010. We're in our seventh season, people. And then we got to thank our patrons, patreon.com slash laser time. You got some bonus shows coming your way this week, including how could I not uh, do a bonus time with TL of Live from the Pool House and Maddie, Maddie Allen from uh, Video Game Apocalypse about rescue rangers and kids in the hall. Two of the great. Oh, nice. I got I exposed to COVID and it's just like, oh, and then I look at like, well, this is the greatest streaming schedule ever. George Car- three two part George Carlin documentary and rescue. I'm in. I'm in. I don't want to go anywhere. Let's get order three pizzas and I'll stay here and eat them off my belly for forty eight hours. <laughs> I don't know if I could recommend Rescue Rangers more. And that's a show I don't think I ever watched an episode of. Really? Oh, really? I love it. I watched a ton of it growing up, and it. I tried to expose my kids to the Disney afternoon. Mm-hmm. Rescue Rangers was the only one that stuck. Not yeah. Ducktales. Not Tailspin, but not Darkwing. 
only rescue rangers I can see stuck it. with them. It's it's that uh, little hero's big world thing that like is appealing to me. It's always appealing to kids. Rescuers, borrowers, all that nonsense. I love it. And, and I figure once they get to about 13, 14, then you can bring in kids in the hall. Yeah. <laughs> you can That's... warp them like it warped me. <laughs> yeah, they'll be crushing your head uh, for the next three weeks. Man, let's begin as we always do with 302010. I said patreon.com slash laser Let me say it again. Five bucks. We love you. Thanks so much. Let's begin as we always do in 1992. Bring you in with a little bit of news because there's some fun stuff here. Not necessarily UN votes for sanctions against Serb-led Yugoslavia to halt fighting because, good lord. Doesn't work. Yeah, this is part of the UN's efforts between 1992 and 1995, which are generally considered a failure. Um, Didn't Mm. really work. Yeah, see, that's the... The problem is that when someone takes over another country, all the international folks can be like, hey, stop that. We're going to mobilize. But when you just start killing your own guys, it's a lot harder for us to come up with an excuse to do something. Hmm. And in lighter news, but sillier news, news. Apple unveils the Newton, its touchscreen PDA. So the Apple CEO at the time, who was not Steve Jobs, demanded that the Newton fit into his pocket and the dev team kept threatening to break into his house to enlarge his pockets because (laughs) getting a 1992 portable electronic device which can read your handwriting into a man's pocket was not an easy i mean do you remember laptops back then they were like fucking turntables yeah you could you could brain someone with a laptop and this is trying to do many laptop functions in your pocket and insane and in the 90s we had big blousy pockets yeah true yeah true it was, and cargo it was pants. set up to win but no 1992 the idea of uh, of handwriting recognition good fucking luck yeah, yeah. i mean that was i think they Ten said years after that we had the uh the palm pilot yeah and that had trouble with it uh, the simpson they said the simpsons was a constant in source of inspiration uh because they had it they're like the only show with a newton joke from the era eat up martha uh, like let's not do, but the Newton, I, I love history like this. Cause like, you know, we, Nintendo with its power glove eventually like, man, Nintendo has had motion control aspirations for 30 years and mm-hmm. Apple, it turns out has had pocket based computing aspirations well, for 30 well, it's years. It's the natural progression, but a totally. whole lot of things had to go right for the iPhone to become the iPhone. It had to be easy to use. And the Newton has many features. If you watch a video of it, it's like, well, yeah, this is obviously a proto iPhone, but it just wasn't easy enough to use. And that's why it became a joke. And it died in 97 when uh, Steve Jobs returned. He just killed it. And and I don't remember. Now we think of Apple as the fancy, richy, rich, bougie brand. Was it? Associated no. with that back then? I 1992, think... Apple was That's approaching what... joke territory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I, I remember we had, I didn't have one, but we had some in schools, blah, blah. I thought everything on a 3 5 floppy disk, I thought that was Macintosh for a while because oh, of my school. No. Back in 92, Gateway is about to start eating their lunch. That's how bad things are. Wow. <laughs> so they're not the rich brand. The Apple Newton mm-hmm. unveils. For twenty five hundred dollars of nineteen ninety two money, approximately double that. So that's uh, about five grand. Yeah, five <sighs> grand. You thought your you man, you thought your iPhone thirteen Max was expensive. Five thousand dollars for a for a Kindle screen that recognize, <laughs> recognizes your handwriting. Holy lord! Uh, but but it was on to something. It just took a little while to what do you call that? Where uh, 
price and production met adoption levels, like where people could actually afford to do this. Anyway, moving into movies of 1992, Lethal Weapon 3 is still number one at the box office. And whoo, do yourself a favor and Google this next movie. Adam Romano, Richard Jenkins, Welker White, Michael Rooker, Vincent Spano, Robert Loja, and uh, Laura Dern in the movie Afterburn. This is streaming nowhere. Not even on HBO? No. HBO funded this bad boy. I think that's... We, we couldn't make that distinction, HBO original movies. I think back in the day they were buying like little indie movies mm. and airing them mm. on their network and don't necessarily yeah. have any ownership of them. And this is based on a true story of a woman whose husband goes down in Korea and she gets to the bottom of, I don't know, something involving the plane manufacturer. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's Top Gun meets Aaron Brockovich. Yes. Exactly. And it is yeah. available for free on YouTube if you want. Oh, it is. I couldn't. I yeah. could not find it. But what's hilarious is the movie poster because it looks like Earth Two Top Gun. It's just the Top Gun logo, but instead of <laughs> instead of Tom Cruise, it just says Laura Dern way above the title in bigger letters than the title of the film. What the fuck? It seems like yeah. an alternate reality I don't remember living in. I don't know. It's the it's the reality where yeah, Laura Dern's husband crashes flying an f-16 and mm. she wants to get to the bottom of what the hell happened and sues the government and finds out like yeah they there was electrical problems in it that caused him to think he was going up when he was going down and he smashed up real good that could be a real problem in a plane yeah i generally like to know which way is up yeah like most yeah. of the time you know it doesn't a train uh, doesn't care whether it's going up or down it's going to be fine but a plane so i, I have done mock fighter combat what and it is Microsoft ridiculous. Flight Simulator? What, what you... No, no. Uh, a World War II era prop plane. Uh, and I fought with lasers uh, against my father. Um, Holy shit. So, yeah. Who's your dad? Is... Peter Jackson? <laughs> <laughs> it is incredibly easy to not know what is the sky and not what is the ground. I know that sounds weird, but huh. uh, doing fighter combat is basically like playing... 3D chess while getting slammed by a sumo wrestler. It is both intellectually and physically demanding at the exact same time. If if your instrument are telling you the ground is the sky, I can absolutely see you believing the instrument and just crashing because of it. I mean, watch me play any game of Battlefield where I get into a plane. I know exactly what you're talking about. And sorry, Afterburn, you got to get out of the way of what would become one of the biggest movies of the year. Isn't that so weird? Yeah. So many comedies. They're yeah. so popular. I miss them so much. Yes, there but... used to be a day when original property comedies yeah. made the top 10 list. Yeah. And it's and it's just, it's a high concept comedy. I mean, usually yeah. those are the bigger ones. You know, what? she shouldn't be in there. <laughs> yeah. Like that's, that's like 80% of comedies. It's actually shouldn't I mean, it's be all, there. It's almost plausible because I, I was even thinking about that. No, get to that in a second. Jennifer Lewis, Jim, Jim Beaver, uh, Richard Portnow, Robert Miranda, Joseph Meyer, Wendy McKenna, uh, Kathy Najimi, Mary Wicks, Wickies, I'll say Wickies, Bill Nunn, Harvey Keitel, Maggie Smith, and Whoopi Hi. Goldberg in Sister Act. From Touchstone Pictures, the sisters from St. Catherine's needed a miracle from heaven. <laughs> What they got was a lounge act from Reno. Oh, no. No, no, no. She's not exactly divine. Oh, my gosh. She's praying. But they think she's divine. That girl is pure sunshine. Ah! We can rock this place. You have corrected the entire choir. 
We're thinking more like Vegas. You know, get some butts in the seats. Sister Act. We could cut a demo. Rated PG. Not Kathy Najimy's debut. We already talked no. about that's actually Soap Dish, but such a huge breakout for her out of fucking nowhere. Totally. And I, I always encourage people, if you're watching, I haven't seen her in anything since she went King of the Hill. She was in a ton of stuff in the early mm-hmm. 90s, but she's the voice of Peggy on King of the Hill. It's and really I, It's so ridiculously... Great easier work to do voice totally work than yeah. to be in a film totally so I, but I, I love her yeah. characterization I, was, of, I, was, I don't recognize her voice in that role because she's so good yeah. at it yeah i also wonder if she had a hard time because she's a bigger girl yeah and that probably limited what they thought was bankable about her which she, sucks because she's so, she's adorable she's like a little human ray of sunshine i yeah. love captain the last thing i remember seeing her in was bride of chucky like 20 yeah. years ago like i'm yeah. gonna throw this out there I'm going to see if either of you disagree with me. What? This is Whoopi Goldberg's biggest and best film. I mean, yeah. 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 If we want to discount Ghost because that's not really that her film. That is not film. her film. Yeah. She has a role film. in that, but it's not her I film. I mean, she... her name is bigger than the title on the poster, and it's just Whoopi. It's yeah. not Whoopi Goldberg. Yeah. It, we it's, know what yeah. we're getting. It's the apex of Whoopi Goldberg. It's why she's still a household name, I think, because of this movie, which was a fucking outrageous hit huge hit like i remember seeing this in school because I, <laughs> like it was passed to our chorus program um but a woman who's dating Har- harvey Keitel in his silliest role of all time just uh, so silly and, yeah. can i just say third highest grossing film of the year yeah wow yeah it grosses wow. more than basic instinct than wayne's world than wow. aladdin yeah it grosses more than aladdin it grosses more than a lot. That's incredible. That, that Yeah, that uh, that blows me away. How do you I'm make a movie that's more for everybody like, than Aladdin? What just behind Lethal Weapon 3 and Batman Returns. That's insane. Ahead of Home Alone 2 and Wayne's World. Wow. I mean Yeah. It does I mean cuz I I got to tell you, I had the same joy rewatching this for the first time in decades that I did for Encino Man. Is it yeah. a excellent movie? No, it's just like this perfect encapsulation of a fun what, what, what do you call it? A steakless movie? Like, just just have fun. Just don't worry about anything. It's not going to be uproariously funny. It'll have its moments that, that still hold up. And the music's fun. The music's fun as hell. Man. What's I... interesting to me about the music mm-hmm. is it's fun, not funny. They could yeah. have really made the music be, like, another opportunity to laugh. But it's not. It's good music that's just fun to and listen I will fo- to. I've been singing all day. I, I will follow him. <laughs> well, yeah, some of it. I mean, there's a lot of classics that get a good chuckle, like, you know, My God instead of My Guy. My God. Like, that's fun. You yeah. know, it's chuckle. You're not going to, you know, hurt yourself laughing. But yeah. But a, so, wo- a woman um, who hides out witness protection. Right. Witness protection puts convent. her in a convent. <laughs> uh, which is. As you do. Which I, I, I forgot it was a plot point. Their, their choir. They're, she's <laughs> running away from Italians like. What a silly movie plot. Like, actually, if you don't want her to die, like, Jesus Christ, my old world Italian, f- they would never touch a nun. Never. Yeah, <laughs> like, I love that. Yeah. That becomes a thing at the end. Yes. <laughs> Hitman it's just, addressed like, in the I, plot. Not if you're dressed, not if you're dressed like a nun. I can't, yeah. I can't do this. It's a brilliant I, I did like how all the nuns have personalities. Yeah. Each one of them is their own character. That's really hard to pull off in an ensemble film like this, but they do. They don't encroach on any personal tragedy because you know typically when you have a movie about a nunnery no one's there because life went great but they don't Mm. really deal with they don't really deal with that at all yeah well i think my biggest laugh of 
unreality is the point where Mother Superior Maggie Smith killing it <laughs> as always, probably her introduction to a, a generation of folks, honestly. Hook, maybe. When she's like, I'm going to leave because I'm too old fashioned. I'm like, shit. <laughs> <laughs> For the Catholic Church. Uh huh. No. Have you seen the Pope's hat? It's an, it's insane. Mm. And and I'm also the, the, the most far reaching thing is I forgot that the movie was set where I lived for yeah. a, over a dozen years, San Francisco. And I got churches in Noe Valley. It's beautiful. I, they had to dirty up the streets of Noe Valley to make it look like my, na- my old neighborhood. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. all fucking Hollywood magic. The nicest, richie, richest neighborhood. One of the nicest neighborhoods in San Francisco. They had to like really gutter up to appear in sister act. Hilarious. Uh, adorable. Yeah. This is one where it's like, all right, well, let's see. Does this hold up? I mean, I remember seeing it in the theaters and it was a lot of fun, but it's just sort of disposable, right? I, uh, I need to, and then I went back and watched it. And I'm like, damn, that was fun. We don't make movies like this anymore. It also comes from a weird period of time where Whoopi Goldberg, Bette Midler and Cher were considered for the same yeah. roles over and over and over. Yeah. It, it's, it's, wow. what? I mean, you can totally see it because, at least in the opening, she, there's like a giant musical number that Whoopi Goldberg clearly has a stunt voice. <laughs> what would you call that? It's not her, but it's meant for Bette Midler. Kind of a progressive move. Like just, all right, it's not about Bette Midler. It's about this group of Supreme-esque singers in Reno. Why not? Yeah. Didn't even that flinch. happened a couple times. I think it's Fatal Beauty was written for Cher and it ended up with Whoopi Goldberg. Oh. That happened multiple times. Uh, where they're like, these things are not the same. And yet I can see this movie with Cher. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, if she it's, agreed, it's to... a different kind of funny. It was, it's not as a light funny, but if she agreed to be in more than one movie every decade. Like not I can like see Whoopi Moon Goldberg in Moonstruck. <laughs> <laughs> it's a different uh, movie, but it's fun. Uh, Sister Act. I think you could turn it on with your kids in the room and guiltlessly have total a totally fun time. It's it's obviously nostalgic for our generation, but like yeah, whatever. I think it's a classic. I, I, and I didn't, you know, I had a little sister who loved the movie. So that meant I was being tired of being subjected to it. Totally fun though. Fucking great. Uh, yeah, yeah, like a mostly female cast. It's like almost no men of any consequence in it, and the ones that are are being hidden from. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good point. Yeah, I forgot it was Harvey Keitel she was running. So, so did I. Totally forgot. What, back when I saw this was. movie like ten times, I didn't know who Harvey Keitel was. It's this, and it's one of the silliest roles he's ever been in. It's fucking great because he's just, he's like from a different movie. Basically, the movie. You remember Happy Go Lucky, but he murders a dude in front of Whoopi Goldberg <laughs> and then threatens to kill her. Anyway, anyway, oh my God. We're getting into television of 1992. We've been talking about Death of the 80s, but we have a rare distinction of Death of the 60s. Yeah. The longest running live action syndicated shows. And let me make this a hard qualifier in America because I don't imagine this <laughs> exported very well. <laughs> it's Hee Haw! The final hee-haw airs in syndication, I think. I feel like we've talked about the final hee-haw in a couple different ways, because I think it just kept moving outlets. It left CBS or NBC and then went into syndication for a year or like a day. I I honestly can't remember, because it keeps going in some capacity, even past this, in like best ofs with new host segments every week. It right. on on the Nashville network or something like that. He, it's just this thing that won't like a grand old Opry thing that I don't have much of a context for. I remember being a kid and this would come on. I'm like, oh shit, a cartoon. This what's this donkey? This looks good. Oh, this is awful. <laughs> I see. I see, hate okay. this so much. My aunt and uncle were farmers. Mm-hmm. Every time I went to visit them growing up as a kid, we watched this show That's... and. 
they loved this. Yeah. And here's what it was, Chris. For them, it was The Simpsons. No, I get it. It was the show from their youth that was somehow still on the air when they had had kids of their own. Or or it's like my dad loved uh, Garrison Keillor and Prairie Home Companion. Yeah. It was this yeah. re- like when I remember watching it, like what the f- yeah, what the fuck is this? This format is so old, even though this is they're referencing things that happened yesterday. It is a, a yeah. very sixties, seventies variety show format, and never abandoned that at all. No, it feels like yeah. laugh in for hayseeds. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it's actually fairly quick. I mean, they go from one joke to the next joke. They never rehearsed anything. Everything was 100% cue cards, and you can see that on some of their things. They're laughing like it's barely get through their lines. And it was never a country music show. It was always just a variety show that had country music in it. Is Uh, that what every family guy cut away to Conway Twitty is from, I believe? I think it's mostly from (laughs) Hee Haw. Yeah, but the girls on the show started as pure eye candy. They didn't get to tell jokes, but progress, they eventually moved up to uh, telling the funny jokes themselves. So, yep. Including the buxom Diana Goodman, former Miss Georgia. I always Google you like that. That's why I always put that up as my picture. Like, here's me with my boyfriend Elvis <laughs> in uh, 1975. <laughs> it says Diana Goodman right there. That's how Diana You can't call me a liar. That's how I have her contact info on my phone. Oh, I get the call from yeah, the buxom me. Diana Goodman. <laughs> 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 uh, but yeah, he if if you don't know what it is, Horse Apples on Wonder Shows and is a wonderful parody with David Cross and Patton Oswalt and I always thought it was hilarious because I endured a lot of Hee Haw. It was on for a very long time if you had no cable. A show I really did like, and I honestly still don't understand why. So we move into the death of the 80s. Night Court ends. I always had an affinity for Night Court. I, I, it was either John I think it was syndication. Or... You know, growing up, I had to watch any TV that was put in front of me. I think mm-hmm. there must have been some law because, you know, I got home from school, started watching the Disney afternoon, would end and it went into syndicated shows, and I just kept watching until it was bedtime. And Night Court was almost always in that lineup. Yeah. And I think I went through every season of Night Court Nine from seasons. start to the end like a couple of multiple times I started like it was the first show I remember like learning lore of and changing of because Mm. like they went through multiple bailiffs. Yep. So I was like, wait a minute, this show changes over time and it changed a lot. Yeah. First season night court is nothing at all like end season night court. Yeah, and I, I, I just love Nightcore. I mean, yeah. it had a lot of fun writers. It's a setting that you're not you've seen comedy in, and it turns out, oh, there's actually a lot of comedy. The idea that you know, it's it's the dregs with you know the the prosecutor who can't move up in life, the the public defender who's bored out of her mind, and they're mostly dealing with like street weirdos. Yeah, it was, um, I was I was I always thought it was it's, it's head that. It's a 24-hour judicial system. I thought the court was in a bus station because, like, pretty much everyone (laughs) they dragged in. I I thought that, too. Yeah. I thought 100% that it was a bus station. I I, I don't know why, but that was, like, a common misconception, I think. Yeah, and I— And it was just—it was wall-to-wall ringers in that cast. mm -hmm. I think that was a huge part of it. Everyone was pretty cartoonish, especially— I remember just loving Bull, Richard Moles Bull, who I just found out today was Two-Faced in Batman the Animated Series. Harry Anderson's kind of a gifted, just a really interesting person. And I didn't know at yeah. the time he was, you know, 
grew up a street drifter turned magician turned sitcom actor and you do magic tricks on the show it was like if you're a little kid oh shit he might do a trick in this episode this is the weirdest thing for me they wrote the character to love mel torme and be a magician before they cast harry yes. anderson he just <laughs> applied for it and he was like actually i do love mel torme and i am a magician so uh, universe acting strangely there but the really strange thing is how many dead female bailiffs yeah. we had to get through to get to the final one oh, and yeah. it has one of the darkest things i've ever heard an actor ever say about getting a role i wasn't really really scared i was sorry that two people had to die for before i could get the job but i'd have killed four or five more what i <laughs> <laughs> Uh. uh yeah they uh well they started out with i think selma diamond they they kept hiring uh old ladies who had voices that clearly they had smoked four packs a day mm-hmm. for the last 60 years and they went through a couple of those before <laughs> they got marsha warfield who's so funny though she's a straight man that that they needed to have around for someone like john larroquette who is there you go my yeah. God. And, and so, oh. JR, I think this, the, the, my the distinction was comedy. I gravitated towards this more. I, it wasn't my parents didn't watch this. I found it somehow or like I didn't like Cheers when it was in front of me. I didn't. I hated it, but I liked Night Court. And, I, and some of it was John Larroquette, who and I can't really go back and prove this in any way. One of the dirtier characters on television in oh, television yeah. history. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's he's Quagmire. Yeah. You know? yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and I think that was part of it. There was a sexiness to whatever he was doing. Night Court was part of my sexual humor awakening. Yeah. Because I grew up watching Cheers, and they'd make sex jokes, and they'd just zoom over my head, and I, I had no it. idea. I, I remember like yelling this, at my mom, this show talks about sex all the time. I hate Cheers. <laughs> yeah, you're not one of those people who had the awakening of seeing Marky Post in her kind of fluffy mullet. Sort of looking oh, yeah. power suits. <laughs> Pretty lady. No. Yeah. Uh, but right. I started to get sex jokes when I was watching Night Court. I think that's when I first started to understand sexual humor. The uh, writers also used to name characters after his friends and family as a way to say hello to them. But most of the characters he named were throwaway characters who ended up being hookers and pimps. So I'd love to have I a hooker or pimp named be... after me. I would be honored. Just like being a dead body on Law and Order, I would love to be the, <laughs> a sex worker. Yeah, the buxom Chris Antista. <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be great. Yeah. And again, nine seasons, and there's a revival coming, even though I think we talked about the 30 Rock episode that had a night court reunion. Yeah. All yeah. three of those cast members are dead now, Aww. within 10 years. I was going to say, it looks like it's streaming on Freebie. Whatever the hell that is, News. but all nine seasons it says allegedly, or you can you can. Buy I it. I picked it up years ago at Costco and like could have easily gotten through the whole series. It, it's still one of the more fun sitcoms that I just yeah. don't. If I, you want background sitcom, boom, done. Yeah, it just doesn't put get a, it in. Get a ton of credit. Do yeah. It, it, uh, it leads in the John Larroquette reason... show was the darkest sitcom I've ever seen in. I, I need to rewatch it someday to make sure my memories are correct. No, yeah. it was correct. It uh, that was, that was set in a bus station. Yes. That was in a bus Yeah. You know what? I, I've never put these things together quite until just now. Night Court was the Parks and Rec of the 80s. Oh, okay. That's they fair. have kind of a same sort of, they have a light vibe. They have a deep cast of characters that are a lot of fun. Jokes move by real fast. You can tell there's some improv going on. 
sillier. Yeah. It, gets, it gets to follow the office and gets away with being sillier and kind of harder to get into. But yeah. You know, yeah. I, but yeah, I think if you like Parks and Rec, I think Night Court. Night Court, baby. As much as it's, you know, they, they've got a laugh track and all So that. I got to hear about this. The reason there was a finale on 30 Rock was because the show itself never did get a finale. No. The network was seeing if it could sell it to another network. And when they couldn't, they told the cast, who had been on the show for nine seasons, that they had to clean out everything in their lockers by the end of the day or it would be thrown away. Wow. Oh, I know, I, right? I looked into it. There is, there is a episode where everybody's kind of pondering their future or career moves. But for some reason, <laughs> in the production schedule, they aired two episodes from earlier in the season after that. So the audience had no idea the show was even gearing towards the end. No. They, the last episode is one from the middle of the season. That's just another story. For for me, the, the 30 Rock ending is canon. That's great. People That's, get married? Yep, people get married. Yeah. Now I want to know everything there is to know about the sitcom Julie. <laughs> so sad. Julie Andrews has a sitcom, oh, and boy. it fails, and it's sad. That's sad, because Julie Andrews is such a delightful, wonderful person. But it's about she's her. not a sitcom actress. No. I can't really picture her as a sitcom star, movie star. Hell yeah, sitcom star. It's a different beast. Yeah. So as um, she's a TV personality who marries a veterinarian, and they move to Iowa, and it's about how she's such a fish out of water here. For seven episodes, one did not even bother to air. I bet it was fucking expensive. I and... bet. Yeah. I mean, I was kind of bummed to see, like, usually deep in the cast of these, there's someone that's like, oh, shit. And the, the most oh, shit person is uh, Ryder Strong from... Um, Boy Meets World. Boy Meets World. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I think plays one of the kids. Yeah. Like, bastard. Uh, and even less notable, Vinny and Bobby debuts this week. The hell is this? You're so like this star. is a Fox show. So there are tons of woos. Lots and lots of woos. And I like to refer to this as Joey Tribbiani 2.0. Because oh. the character that Matt LeBlanc is playing this is a complete beta version of Joey from Friends. Is this the Married with Children spin? Matt LeBlanc yep. got like eight tries on Fox to make a sitcom with pretty much the character of Joey and it never took off. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, that's what this is. Okay, I do remember this, actually. During the show, it I watched the pilot of it. Um, I don't recommend that to anyone else. <laughs> the pilot makes it very, very clear that the under 18-year-old character has a major crush on Beta Joey. And that Joey kind of feels the same way, but he's not going to act on it. And oh. it really makes me aware how much more comfortable the early 90s were with under 18, over 18 sexuality. Mm. Oh, and she's played by Joey Lauren Adams, so she sounds like a six-year-old. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, come on. Oh, finger cups? It's a major plot point. It's a driving force yeah, it in sounds the like a, a, first episode. It sounds yeah. like something Fox would greenlight in the early 90s. Yeah. Like, yeah, the underlying tension is between an underage girl and an adult Ooh. man. Ooh. Sorry, I left my panties in your glove box. Uh, <laughs> seven episodes. Uh, also in Sprott's news, sports. Uh, the Pittsburghian Penguins beat the Chicago Blackhawks. Congratulations. Uh, yeah. 
to the penguins. Um, penguins. So a nerd. Isn't that how Benedict Cumberbatch says it? Penguin. <laughs> penguins. 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 Human. Yeah. Now there's a whole video about how he, he narrated a, a documentary about penguins. penguins. And he kept saying penguins. On Star Trek: Next Generation, the episode "The Inner Light" airs, and it's considered one of the best uh, Next Generation episodes we have. How have I never heard of this? Yeah. I uh, just looking up, looking into it. I'm like, what the fuck? I watched a bunch of Next Gen. I did not know. I don't know if I've seen this episode. And I definitely know the don't know the backstory of what it's based on. I it's guess based I don't either. On a George Harrison song, which is based on the Tao Te Ching. Wow. <laughs> So, for our listeners, uh, Picard wakes up on an alien planet wearing hammer pants, and he is living an entire lifetime in 20 minutes. This alien planet is dying. It knows it's dying. It doesn't have the technology to colonize any nearby stars. What it does have the ability is to send a probe into space that when someone encounters it, it will run them through a simulation of what it was like to be alive on that planet. And that's what happens to Picard. He lives an entire lifetime where he marries, has kids, grows old, and sees his planet die. And to him, it's like 70 years. But on the Enterprise, it's only 20 minutes. Wow. I'm, I'm, more, and, I'm more astonished. That I was my my brain without thinking very hard about it. Man, that sounds a lot like an episode of The Orville, right? <laughs> just... Yeah, it's it's also an episode uh, throwaway gag on Rick and Morty uh, where they're playing the right. video game. This episode does have a fantastic quote from Picard that I really took to heart. You've taught me to pursue the truth, no matter how painful it is. Seize the time, Manipal. Live now. Make now. Always the most precious time. Now will never come again. So living in the now has always been hard for me. You know, always my mind on the future, the horizon, never on where I am, what I am doing. (laughs) You got to lift the X-Wing, JR. God damn it. Oh, I know, damn it. But I'm I'm trying to get better. And uh, being more present is something that takes work but something I think is completely and utterly worth it. And now is the only time. It's the only time we ever experience. No matter what you are, when you are, it's always now for you. And that's the only moment that is completely real and that you will ever have. Well, I missed that. I was looking at my phone. Uh, No, (laughs) just kidding. kidding. (laughs) Up next this week was the Tonys. The Tonys! The Uh, 46th Tonys. Yep, hosted by Glenn Close, and also she wins for uh, Death and the Maiden. Oh, I'm looking through here, and other than Guys and Dolls, I've never heard of it. Yeah, anything. it's the Guys and Dolls revival with Nathan Lane. That's supposed to be really, really good. Dancing at Luna, so wins uh, Best Play. Crazy for You wins Best Musical. Uh, I just heard a bunch of first graders sing a song from Crazy for You at a school <laughs> performance, and I know two of them said the same syllable at the same time. It was, and it was the best thing I've seen all year. It's my return to live theater. Hot yeah, off. Judd Hirsch wins for Conversation with My Father. Gregory Hines wins for Jelly's Last Jam, which is supposed to be fantastic in that, too. And, and then finally, the, hot off the wire, the season three premiere of Dream On. Yay! Uh, so I Dream, missed this show. This show is unwatchable anywhere mm-hmm. because yeah. it's composed of clips that I assume no one has the rights to, and it's not worth it to it was, untangle it. I think it was a Columbia Studios show that 
all they'd asked was John Landis, can you make a, a sitcom that allows us to use all these clips from the Universal Archives? And then HBO paid for it. So you have three different companies caught up in all of this. It's like Family Guy, but they'd cut away to like black and white films and television shows. But I don't get how they could keep in their mind what cutaway we are going to do. We Me have neither. a scene where he's drinking coffee. And then there's like 30 clips of people asking for coffee. Does Is, is it there wasn't the Internet where they could just look up no, coffee lines. And some there. of it like we still I still laugh thinking about it. He's talking to his friend, Eddie. And he's like, oh, yeah, I love that bar. Remember that one time I got a blowjob in the parking lot? And it cuts to like, you know, a 1940s guy with a dude with a derby getting his keys stuck in his yeah. <laughs> stuck in his door without this trumpet music playing. It was fucking hysterical. Like, how many things yeah. did you watch to find that three seconds of silliness? I always wondered if that was just like a room full of interns with their eyes bleeding, watching and taking notes on all these just nonsense movies. But you know what's annoying, though, is the creators have enough clout to make this happen, but they don't have to because they have all the money in the world because it's created by the people who created Friends. Yep. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And if yeah. you don't know, Dream yeah. on aired on H- HBO and had, like, to. an obligatory, like, booby sequence that was so yes. easy to cut out. I think it, the show aired on Fox for, like, two years and Comedy Central, yeah. but, uh, but could be really sexy and foul language written and that's why 1992 jr watched it i was all in it for that two second booby it, shot it, it came um. out on dvd in the mid 2000s and i watched again like this is still good and brian benben's kind of like a comedic genius this is good that i have was this guy have not been in more stuff mm-hmm. and i i have them on a burn dvd somewhere back when i would get those netflix mailers and immediately throw it in dvdx copy uh oh, gonna have to God. look for those because dream on is like yeah it's impossible to find but it's like one of HBO's first big hits. And uh, this specific episode was Bimbo was his name oh. And uh, <laughs> Martin ends up as the bimbo in a political sex scandal. A politician's wife picks him up at the bar. They have an affair. And then it goes public. And he's portrayed as the, in 1992 terms, Jennifer Flowers. But in retrospect, it's a very Monica Lewinsky scandal before that was actually a thing. Martin Tupper did have more partners than Will Chamberlain. That is pretty astonishing. Like almost one per episode until an arc demanded something a little less. There are the clips where it cuts. they're, They're about to have sex. And then it cuts to an old movie where there's the giant drum being banged again and again and again in rhythm. List of Dream On episodes, so I can flag us a year from now for the season four premiere, which is by far my favorite episode of the show. Really? Ooh, stay the tuned, one, listeners. I'll just tell you right now, it's the one where his son accidentally films a beloved TV clown uh, getting a blowjob. <laughs> I remember and that one. I'm to watch that. It's... So, I mean, it's got James Woods in there. It's got Jason Alexander in there. And the clown is played by Tom Poston, who I know from like Bob Newhart. Oh, and, yeah. Hearing him say something like, hey, maybe I'll give you 20 bucks and you can suck my dick, too. And I'm like, oh. me, me and a couple of my friends, we were just watching the show and Michael McKeon, who I just saw a painting of in Better Call Saul, mm-hmm. uh, he was his, played his aunt, his boss, his Australian boss, Gibby Fisk. So funny. And. Oh, to this day, so I, we someone did it this year, either Sam or uh, Melendez. But like every time a computer came on, his computer would come on with a sound clip of a girl. Like, oh, 
Gibby Fisk, your dick is the biggest. And every time we see a computer turn on, we're like, oh, Gibby Fisk, your dick is the biggest. It make uh, it would I make do, no sense to anyone. Dream on reference. I do, I do have to point out that this episode ends in a darker in hindsight thing mm. where the politician loses because of his sex scandal and he loses to a former game show host. Oh, no. And then we assume becomes politically powerful. Oh. Well, let's get out of that territory and move into the video games of 1992. Wow. Wow. I said like Christopher Walken. Uh, Metroid 2 Return of Samus is out this week for Game Boy, the first Metroid sequel and one of the weirdest ones <laughs> if you yeah, try and play it now. Yeah. I, I want to point out that in the time between Metroid 1 and Metroid 2, yeah, yeah. Mario had Mario 2, Mario 3, Super Mario World, and a... Super Mario Land, Mario Kart, and a bunch of little cameos. Samus got nothing. Yeah, this was her first game since 1986, and it what? said, mm -hmm. "Yep, it was a direct the sequel." Fuck? Yeah, well, I think as Lord Lord dictates, it was more popular in the West, but kind of a big failure in Japan. So it took hmm. Japan a long time to kind of address that, and it's it's never been a breakout success. But the character is important and beloved for a lot of different reasons. Yeah. Yeah. It was easily the most epic Game Boy game of the time. All the other Game Boy games before then are much more low-key, yeah. much more quick, uh, easy games. This this has depth to it, which is why it got remade For three two years ago? No, no, three a little older than that. But a it, it couple, like like five seven to seven years ago for 3ds right. on uh, 3ds yeah it was like the last huge game on 3ds uh, yeah because... very good i thought added an interesting mechanic i hope it's in more metroid games but th this is this might be like the biggest character sprite i've ever seen <laughs> in a yeah. game boy game it is so huge and i remember playing this on an emulator i'm like god this is really hard to look at and play <laughs> oh my god I don't think there's any reason to play this over the remake. This is one area where I think video games is so different from film. You know, it's super rare in film for a remake to be better than the original, but overwhelming in video games. The remake is superior. Well, I was going to gonna say you can officially buy them on the 3DS eShop, which is closed or closing, so you cannot. Yeah. You can only emulate them. And I don't know how e easy it is to emulate 3DS at this point. I managed to do it. It was a pretty good I don't know. I, I've got it on my th 3DS. It's a, it's a hell of a game. And the only reason this isn't talked about more is because in three years, it is going to be yep. completely and utterly overshadowed for all time in Metroid by Metroid 3. Super mm. Metroid. Super Metroid, yeah. That just blows this game out of the water, and no one talked about it after Super Metroid. Because why would you? You had Super Metroid. Um, yes, and it, I love that we have Neo Geo games to bring up. A uh, series I wish I loved more, King of the Monsters 2, is out of Neo Geo, the Kaiju combat game. Set in the far-off year of 1996! <laughs> they were expecting a lot to happen in four years, can, can you Can you imagine how embarrassed they'd be if Godzilla fought... <laughs> fought king kong a year after that oh yeah oh, so close <laughs> so close yeah that's you why know, you gotta do at least 40 years you know yeah. but i mean no one's gonna care they're kaiju you could you could have one floating car in the background it would still be cool but uh kaiju games seem like they should be cool but i don't know of a genuinely 
good one. Well, it, it, it looked like, man, I wish they made a Street Fighter game with Godzilla and like, well, here's King of the Monsters. I'm like, oh, uh, but it's it's really more like a wrestling game, like grappling uh, and, and throws, and uh, but with city elements, like you can throw them into mm-hmm. buildings. It, it is cool, as are most Neo Geo games, and because they were so expensive and impossible to take home. Yeah. I didn't know anyone who owned a Neo Geo, and I lived in a upper middle class area. I did, but like way later in the 2000s. And oh, well, that that doesn't. Yeah, count. yeah, it totally doesn't count. Yeah, uh, and also Ninja Commandos out this week, a uh, interesting top-down contra e shooter game because Neo Geo was the best at ripping off everything that was popular on every other platform and making an elegant version of that for itself. And, and making balls to the walls insanity. Yes. The plot is you've got to stop the villain Spider and his Mars Corporation from using a time machine to destroy the past and control the future. Wow. As you go through the Senjuku Gidai, Ancient Egypt, Stone Age, China during the Three Kingdoms, and World War II. <laughs> Those uh, are kind of different kinds of fighting. Yeah. A little bit. But, they're, you know, they're, they're ninjas. Yeah, suck on that, Picard. How's that for a life lived? Jesus. Yeah. And then let's get, close out with some music of 1992, uh, May 27th through June 2nd. Jump by Criss Cross is still number one. Still. God, it's been forever. But and, people just really want to jump. jump. Jump around. I mean, jump I was reminded, jump. having jump. been back at a skating rink recently, like, that was huge for kids in, like, at every dance, uh, every goddamn skating rink. Yeah. Uh, I other... think it's wiggity, wiggity, whack. Wiggity, wiggity, whack. <laughs> New releases. Oh, an album I really like. Uh, it's a Shame About Ray from uh, the Lemonheads is out yep. this week. That's a good one. As is MTV Unplugged. Mariah Carey, The Lizard by Which... Saigon. Oh, mm-hmm. man. Mm-hmm. Uh, we... MTV Bla- Unplugged by Mariah Carey will not just be the number one album. It will have a number one single. Oh, right. In a couple weeks. And, and as I... we... I did not realize that that's how that worked. As we mentioned before, you cannot underestimate how huge the MTV Unplugged juggernaut was at this time. Uh, and also, Shadows of Light by Wilson Phillips is out this week, but let's close out with It's a Shame About Ray, a song I love so much by the Lemonheads. Content people... warning, Johnny Depp is in this video. Oh, is he? Yeah. Um, and then stay right there, people. we got to talk about Diana's favorite subject, Tom Clancy. It's a shame about Ray. Are you a content creator like the good folks here at 302010? If so, I don't need to tell you how time-consuming it can be to go searching for that perfect video clip, image, sound, or piece of music to put the finishing touches on your latest project. How nice would it be to have a huge library of royalty-free content at your fingertips? Well, I have good news. Storyblocks is here to help creators like you bring all your stories to life without sacrificing your vision due to time, budget, or resources. Storyblocks gives you access to a huge, demand-driven library of 4K and HD footage, After Effects and Premiere Pro templates, music, images, sound effects, and more to give you everything you need to bring your stories to life. Assets are royalty-free, so you can use your downloaded content anywhere for commercial and personal use. Their unlimited all-access plan includes over 1 million assets in their library, including things like the background music you're hearing in this very ad. 
Whether you're a seasoned content creator or someone just dabbling with your first YouTube or Twitch channel, Storyblocks offers a selection of flexible subscriptions that fit every budget and scale to give you all the content and tools you need to focus on what's most important, creating. So what are you waiting for? Get started today at storyblocks.com slash 302010. Once again, that's storyblocks.com slash 2002 with Boom by Anastasia, the official song of the World Cup 2002, which kicks off in Japan and South Korea this week, and we'll have a little tiny JR in attendance. And yeah, no, looking through footage, <laughs> see if we can find, <laughs> find uh, JR in uh, the middle of the mob party. Yeah, and it was an incredible event. I mean, if you ever, I don't like soccer. Nothing personal if you do. It's just never a sport that has interested me, but being around people with that much care that much excitement is infectious and oh great i was in italy during world cup 98 and it was nuts everywhere like i'm looking at the freaking roman senate and then suddenly all the cars start honking it's like oh did we score like every single store everyone's held around the tvs watch oh just imagine a city where 90% of the people are incredibly happy, (laughs) just cheering in the streets happy. I've never experienced that, and it was was something to behold. Me neither. And that, we usually come in with we come in with music. This is not a sports segment. It's the music segment of 2002, May 27th through the June sec June second. Uh, we also have new music releases such as the self-titled album Thalia, Use Once and Destroy by Superjoint, Tommy Lee's self-titled debut Never a Dull Moment, Remission by Mastodon, Surrounded by Thieves by High on Fire, Emerald Sky by McBride and the Ride, and the uh, self-titled album from Boxcar Racer, Foolish by Ashanti is still number one. Um, a little bit of news to bring you into the world of 2002, 10 years after our previous segment, yet 10 years before our next segment. May 28th, NATO and Russia sign an agreement for Russia to be a limited partner in the Western Alliance. <laughs> How'd <Yeah>. that work out? <laughs> yeah. So Bush and Putin got together for this. Uh, Bush said, two former foes are now joined as partners overcoming 50 years of division and a decade of uncertainty. Putin said the significance of this meeting is difficult to overestimate, especially bearing in mind how we meet today would have been simply unthinkable a short time ago. And then, oh. and then there was like thunder cracking and lightning bolts <laughs> hitting and splitting the earth open. No uh, one mentioned Chechnya. I, I, uh, we will in a little, in a little bit, the movie, sadly. And we will, yeah. yes. How topical. <laughs> And I thought there was a bunch of nuclear disarmament as part of this as well. It's like this really weird time of like, Russia, come here, you old, you old scalloway. Let me buy you a beer. And Because uh, that was the feeling at the time. Yeah. Even with 9-11, it was like the world is going in the right direction. We were facing nuclear Armageddon with Russia about 20 years before this in an incident called Able Archer. And then... 
we're friends and we're going to get closer and closer and things are going to keep getting better guys the main bad guy is coming our friend come but, on but, but but yeah it's crazy nato was formed literally just to counter the soviet union that's mm -hmm. what its job has been this but, whole time and that's why people say like we don't even need nato anymore what are we even doing with? jr use your powers of guesstimation over what like half a century of the cold war do you think more people died over that cause than 911 Okay, if you're talking about the Cold War proper, then absolutely, because right. Vietnam, yeah. Korea were battles in the mm. Cold War more than they were wars in and of themselves. I was just talking about like the, dead spies, but okay, that, that counts. <laughs> um, and the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan and all sorts of other actions. The U.S. never really had a prime interest in Vietnam other than stopping the spread of communism. Um, it wasn't really in our financial interest. It wasn't an area we had any deep ties to. It was purely there because we were fighting communism. Yep. Um, so all, all of our fuckery in South America and Central America, in Africa, propping up dictators because we didn't like the socialist guy. So let's overthrow Allende. That's Cold War shit. All yeah, right. thousands died. See? Okay. And then moving on to... Remember what we said 10 years ago about the uh, Apple Newton? This it's week, funny. Maverick becomes the first major record label to release an MP3 exclusively. I'm not just saying exclusively on the internet, just exclusively. It's not available on an album, and it's sold through their website. MP3 is still kind of an up-and-coming technology used largely for piracy. Do people still even call them MP3s? I call them MP3s all the time, which is mm. fascinating to me that MP3s as a format has outlasted yeah. and lasted longer than the CD, the cassette... Uh, lots of other formats, It's it's been around and in use longer than those. Because I still have some MP3s. I just, I just thought it was odd the way uh, they say porn dictates our video technology, <laughs> that music may have ended up dictating our pocket technology. That was something the Newton didn't even have as an aspect of it. You can read your books on this and listen to your music. <laughs> $5,000. Anyway, <laughs> movies of 2002. Yeah, but in, in more than 20 years since the introduction of the MP3, there's got to be a, a much smaller compression system for music. Yeah, but it, I don't think it took off. It, 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 it never sort of, took off because we just got used to MP3s. Yeah, it's just, it's yeah. just purists who give a shit. They're augvorous flack files. Those are all on not something iTunes tends to deal with. It's something mm. Bandcamp celebrates for the few people who give a shit. Uh, let's move on to the movies of 2002, May 27th through June 2nd. We got Ivan's Ecstasy. Man, great title. So there is a fantastic movie struggling to get out of this movie. Yeah. Um, it's based on Tolstoy's Death of Ivan Ilyevich. Oh, no. Oh, no. Uh, which is a classic of literature. The problem is it's a very introspective work portraying the inner life of someone when they're facing their death. And that's something movies have a very very hard time portraying. This film is portraying a rich asshole movie executive who finds out he's dying. It sounds like and, a funny, funny people. Yeah. And <laughs> the problem is it was a cheap shoot in 2002 and watching it today, you can't help thinking my iPhone is so much better than what you're showing me right now on screen. The fundamental truth is getting dark here. We live in a world where people can and often do die for reasons 
utterly unrelated to their personal activity. Mm-hmm. And this movie executive does drugs, sleeps around, lives a very unhealthy lifestyle, and his doctors keep telling him, no, it had nothing to do with it. You're just getting sick from cancer because of sucks to be you-itis. Mm. I had three cases of sucks to be you-itis where got a second opinion. Six separate doctors all told me it was nothing you did, just sucks to be you-itis. And gosh, does that create some wacko emotions in you where it's like, it's it's nothing I did, nothing I could have prevented. Mm-hmm. Great. Mm-hmm. But one of the purposes of art is to prepare you for stuff you are going to face someday. And your own personal death is one of those things. And this movie would have been great. And it could have been in part of the discussion about movies about death, but it's not there. It's not there. Yeah, it seemed like it was a very, very hyper indie. I mean, Danny Houston and Peter Weller are your big stars. And Danny Houston's an up-and-comer still at this point. No one knows who that guy is. Still don't. And- <laughs> you'd, you'd recognize him if you saw him immediately. He was he was a bad guy in an X-Men movie. So, oh, no. of course, you know him. <laughs> the, the one scene I think everyone should look up on YouTube is trying to describe what matters to him in his life. And he realizes that nothing about his life matters to him. Oh, and shit. that is heartbreaking. Oof. Well, with that conversation out of the way, it's on to the comedy. <laughs> it's on to the goofy shit. On to the comedy. I would say a comedy that falls just so short of being a classic. It. I liked it more than I expected. I liked it. I've liked it more every time I've watched it. But there's just aspects of it. Ooh, so close. And I, mm. I, I, I like it a lot. I don't think it's in the great category, but I still like it a lot. It's close because yeah. it's just it's it's wonderful. It's so surreal, like a oh, like Black Austin Powers, Jack Noseworthy, Billy D. Williams, Shee McBride, Neil Patrick Harris. Oh God, Ingenue, uh, Ingenue, Ingenue Ellis, uh, who you just saw as the wife in King Richard. She's a fantastic oh. actress, and I could not believe her when she pops up here as like a main character. Uh, Denise Richards, Dave Chappelle, Chris Kattan, and Eddie Griffin in Undercover Brother. Can you play something funky for a brother to drive to? It ain't no thing. On May 31st, action has many faces. You mess with the fro, you got to go. But only one name. Undercover brother. What the hell? Penelope Snow. Would you like to be my friend? What are you? He had sex with a white girl. Oh, was it everything I dreamed of? Undercover brother. Excuse me. No, man, you can't be doing this. PG-13 at theaters May 31st. Uh, Undercover Brother. I think it's one of those examples the internet makes good, a web series, web cartoon. Yeah, it was one of the very first animated web series to grow big, and it got a movie deal. Mm-hmm. And it was like, all right, how do we catch on to this internet thing? And didn't really go anywhere. I, I don't feel like there's been many great movies. It got a sequel two years ago. <laughs> Which I've yet to see. I, I, I've been super busy this week. It's, so. it's a much but, better casting choice. Black Dynamite guy. What's his name? Michael Jai White. Uh, Michael Jai White. Yeah, that was, I mean, the hard thing for me is is comparing this to, to Black Dynamite. Because I think, I like Black Dynamite, I think, quite a bit more. Oh, yeah. 
Oh, that's is, better. It's a better movie, but yeah, they're two different is, films. They're very different, but they're both sort of black exploitation send-ups. Yes. Yeah. Um, whereas this one, you know, and, and Black Dynamite is is made very low budget, and this has a slightly better budget. It looks kind of like a sitcom, and it's written by the guy who wrote 12 Years a Slave. What? what? No. <laughs> yeah, John Ridley was mostly a comedy wow. writer for, for most of his career. Wow. Wow. And Jesus, uh, speaking of comedy, is this the start of Neil Patrick Harris becoming a comedy juggernaut? I think we've already Ooh. had Harold and Kumar, Did haven't we? we? I, I don't know. It, the, the nature of the show means I could be confusing it with like the 2009s. We had we had the third one. Yeah. Um, Harold no, and Kumar go to Castle is two years from now. OK, yeah. OK. Then yeah. So. It is, and yeah, Neil Patrick Harris is adorable in this. Is the, yeah. <laughs> the affirmative action white hire for the black spy agency? He's I just... super cute, and he nails every punchline. I I gotta think this is what sent him down that path. And I just yeah. remember being a massive Dave Chappelle fan at this point. Stop throwing things at me! I, I, I just yeah. back. I just he's in the movie as conspiracy brother, a great character for him. But I just remembered, like you maybe should have switched roles here. But like the more I see it, the more I like Eddie Griffin's whatever his style is. I yeah. just really love Eddie Griffin, and I feel like so much of his stuff is popping up and being the best thing in bad movies. He like. I remember him in Deuce Bigelow, Male Gigolo of yeah. all things, and just being like, could we just have the Eddie he, Griffin's character movie and please go away? He has and a... Schneider, I don't want you here. He has a weird, like, uh, Zucker Brothers comedy thing happening where, like, he, he's playing it straight, but he knows it's funny uh, mm -hmm. in a way that I don't think someone like Chappelle would have. Or, like, if you put Martin Lawrence in it, who are constantly reacting to things they're doing, he never reacts to what he's doing <laughs> uh, in this film. He plays it like a... Sh no, I'm a fucking action star. Of course yeah. I am. I loved how the opening montage of this is making fun of how out of touch Undercover Brother is. And one of the things they show is someone taking a Polaroid of him. Mm. So... Mm. Time marches on. That's um, that's another thing I think led to the the failure of this movie, which has since become kind of a cult classic because we're not explaining it very well. It is a 1970s sort of send up. Again, very Austin Powers. If I made hour long YouTube essays, which I don't and probably never will, I would like to chronicle 90s uh, content creators' obsession with 70s kitsch stuff. And this was kind of the end of that. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. kids were getting younger and not remembering what they're talking. Like I was watching, what was it? The Beavis and Butthead movie opens up with like, it looks like Shaft. Isn't it hilarious? And like, nobody's going to get this. Nobody's going to understand what this movie opening is. And the movie's good. But, and, and the opening is good, but it, like, it's not a mainstream force anymore in terms of, haha, it wasn't the 70s silly afros and bell mm. bottoms. And this mm. movie like lives in that fucking world. Oh yeah. Lives in that world. One of the reasons I, I stayed away from this is... Chris Kattan. Yeah! I, I can't. I can't with him. He has never seemed funny to me. I am missing the chromosome oh, that makes Chris Kattan in any way funny. You didn't laugh, laugh at Mr. Peepers on SNL? No. Oh, my. No, or Mango, or Mango, this other no. stuff. I, no. I just sat there like, so this is the joke, huh? This, uh, this is it? Uh, he is the bad guy in this, and that's what kept me away from it mm -hmm. for quite a while. Until I caught just the end of it once, and it was one of those amazing moments where, like... If there's a car chase and you start chanting fruit, cart, fruit, cart. Yeah. And this we're watching and they're fighting on a helicopter over the ocean and they throw him into the ocean. And Michael and I both started going shark, 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 shark. And it happened. 
I was so happy. This and I was like, okay, I'll watch the rest of the movie now. I mean, I, I can't. I thoroughly recommend the movie. I have much more positive experience with it than I had with Pootie Tang, which is made by a bunch of people I loved and respected. And it's not exactly the same thing, but it sort of is. I think they were trying to go for something a little similar in terms of something surreal. Man, this is like too polished to be hilarious and like rough and tumble enough not to be your average studio movie. It's totally worth watching. And it's I, I can see why it got a sequel years later because I, yeah, I was dating someone a little younger than me and like, for her, it was like, this is one of the best movies ever made. And like, oh, that's strange. I've never heard anybody say that about it. But I loved Undercover Brother. And I just, just don't... Eddie Griffin just has, like, so much just raw charisma. And yeah, like, his commitment to the bit just sells it every time. Oh, it's Undercover White Guy. I love it. I love it <laughs> so much. And uh, it's streaming on Peacock. I swear, it's, it's totally worth watching. Funny, funny film. Undercover Brother. And then lastly for movies... Number one at the box office this week, Bridget Moynihan, Liev Schreiber, Syrian Hines, James Cromwell, Morgan Freeman, and Ben Affleck. It's number one this week, The Sum of All Fears. Tell me, says the bomb is in play. Debbie, I can't make it tonight. Tell her who you work for. I work for the CIA. That is so lame. <laughs> From the best-selling thriller by Tom Clancy. A neo-fascist bought an A-bomb on the black market. Cut him off. Ben Affleck. I think it might be the Russians. It wasn't the Russians. Morgan Freeman. It adds up. We just don't like what it adds up to. The bomb is in play. Yes! All right. Who's up for watching a movie about the United States and Russia being on the brink of nuclear war over an event that starts in the Ukraine? (laughs) Does it have international terrorism targeting American civilians in a horrible, horrible way? Yes, it does. Is it less than a year after 9-11? It is. I do, I do, I do. (laughs) I mean, that's Uh what was fascinating to me is that this was in some odd form of development hell, but that Harrison Ford was supposed to be in this. It just took too long to make. This is the first reboot of the Jack Ryan series. So when I was young, the most popular authors were Stephen King and Tom Clancy. So when I started getting into reading fiction for fun, obviously I went to the best authors in the world, which by definition to my 1992 brain was the most popular authors. So I read a lot of Stephen King and I read at least the first five, maybe the first six Jack Ryan books, Mm. but I haven't reread them since high school. So keep that in mind if I... uh, I could say the same thing. ...comments I say about them. (laughs) But the sum of all fears is when the Jack Ryan verse completely diverges from ours. Because before that point, every Jack Ryan novel and every Jack Ryan movie could kind of be our world. You know, it's basically our world with some event that happens that doesn't fundamentally change our world. Yeah. And the events, they could be top secret. That's why you never heard of them. Exactly. Yeah. For Red October, there's no newspaper stories about that. No. That's top secret. But but this one, a nuclear bomb goes off during the World Series at the stadium. So that event would change American history forever. I mean, it would be so much bigger than 9-11 because it would be literally 100 9-11, something like that. Hmm. Maybe more. Yeah. And every something Tom Clancy like book so far, if there is an action sequence, it either happens in a foreign country or underwater. <laughs> yeah. 
It, it, it doesn't happen on our shores, so we can disavow. Yeah. Oh, okay, that probably happens all the time. And well, know. I think there's, I mean, there's some stuff in Patriot Games, which we get to talk about next next week. week. Yeah, that's crazy that these yeah. are lining up. I mean, like that's that. that's what another thing that's that I have highlighted as my most fascinating thing about the Jack Ryan movie series is that other than Harrison Ford, who did it twice. Everybody else has done it once. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. There's been as, ma- as many Jack Ryans as there have been Bonds. Just because for everybody... For fewer movies. Yes, yeah. for, yeah. for like time, five yeah. movies. And and uh, well, John Krasinski may may tie the record if they make a second season of whatever that fucking Amazon show I won't watch yep. is. They did, did make a second season. Did they? Okay, yeah. then I'm they incorrect. Did. Yeah. But, hey, uh, did you know there's a Chris Pine one in there? I, I yeah, did. I forgot. I did. I... <laughs> I did not know there was a Chris Pine one, and I, I came across that. I watched a video, Best Jack Ryan Movies, and it brought up a Chris Pine. I was like, what? Was he Jack Ryan? I, 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 I theorized that's why they called that fourth, fifth Bourne movie Jason Bourne. Because, like, let's be clear. We know we retired Matt Damon. This is the right. Jason Bourne movie. Because, what was it, Shadow yeah. Recruit? Is that what it was, what it was called? Yeah. See, see, I really think they needed some equivalent of 007 or Jack Ryan. I think Ryan they tried in, in certain territories. Titles. It's like Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit, but it wasn't super clear to people. And it, it had been a long fucking time. It had yeah, been a yeah. really long time. Yeah, uh, I, in some ways, like, I appreciate that. that. I mean, these are, you could argue, are technically a franchise. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, they're not afraid to just be like, no one will accept anyone except Alec Baldwin. Alec Baldwin's the <laughs> only Jack Ryan we have. And it's just like, doesn't matter. Yeah, I, I love yeah. that the behind-the-scenes story is Ben Affleck heard he got the role when he's on the set of Pearl Harbor, and he on the phone he just turns to Alec Baldwin like, uh, "Hey, I <laughs> <laughs> uh, got any advice here? Uh, should I do this? You didn't seem to want to." But the Jack Ryan Alec Baldwin is playing is a different Jack with this film because he's at the very start of his career. It's a newbie, never been on any assignments, never done anything but write some history papers, never had an adventure before. And suddenly he's thrown into preventing Russia and America from going to nuclear war. And the end of the film is fantastic. Honestly, the plot point where it's like we are trying to de-escalate was handled very well. I mean, in that moment, you can feel the tension of a war room where it's like, we've already been under attack. We need to act now. But if we act, will that make them react, which will make us react, which will kill us all? I was I, so, I was also taken with, and it might be because of my, you know, our recent viewing of Don't Look Up, how hard it is to get <laughs> news to the president on a not busy day. And yeah. it, it, it's like we're trying to de-escalate, like, He's not taking uh, any words from from anyone. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. No, I, I I enjoyed this when it came out, but it did feel a bit, I felt a bit raw. Uh, yeah. That I, it's surprising that they didn't hold this past 9-11 even more. Yeah. Um, I yeah. mean, that, that, that was, bomb sequence is like the best part for me about the fucking that movie. The bomb sequence is spectacular. Pretty nuts. Honestly, it's, it's, it's a great job. It's directed by uh, Phil Alden Robinson, who did Field of Dreams. Oh, what? Yeah. It, well, and sneakers, which we talk about what? at some point. A lot of people love ninety three. Can't wait. But one one big change they made from the book was that in the book the terrorists are like Arab nationalists, and mm-hmm. here it's like a neo Nazi funded by billionaires. Yeah. And th- there was some stuff at the time like, oh, they changed it because of nine eleven. No, they changed it before then. And then people were like, oh, well, they they they're being too PC because they you know 
everyone gets to pick on white guys. It doesn't matter if Nazis are the bad guy because everyone hates them. No, I I, I remember like, reading a it's note. Just, I feel like it was just it was so played out to have faceless Arab terrorists. An executive note was just like sounds too much like Black Sunday because the stadium. Don't do that. And like, oh, seriously, good like point. seriously, Black they Sunday said, is fucking crazy. Yeah, don't do. don't be like Black Sunday. Change this. And then if you're yeah. in the middle of your fucking berry viewing like I am, I don't want to hear any nastiness about the Chechnyans because Noho Hank is <laughs> a goddamn delight. But uh, the hey, thing Barry. with every Tom Clancy book <laughs> is it should not be a movie. Every Tom Clancy book needs to be a miniseries if you're going to adapt it because those books, books are, like are thick. Yeah, that's true. And I, I, I'm not the audience here. I, I don't like missile porn. I, that's always the dismissive way I've described Tom Clancy, but I, I found this to be very boring. But I, I've never been one for this kind of stuff. Like, I, I usually have to, like, sit next to Sam when we'd watch Clear and Present Danger. Like, I just, I don't, what? I, I'm too stupid to follow some of this stuff. Um, yeah, the plot is kind of complicated. There, it isn't just like there's one bad guy, and then if you stop him and get the MacGuffin, the movie's over. Like, there it, no, are, it, 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 there's a lot of hench people working together and lying about who they're working with. And it's, it's not like I enjoyed that part. I like it feels more like real spy shit. It's not that so much. It's just even this movie 20 years ago is living in the past. Political thrillers are kind of one of those things we might not even have noticed we have lost in the streaming era. We don't really get those. Part of that is when your politics become more absurd than fiction. Yeah. You know what's interesting, though, is like, how come this is uh, some of all fears is just sort of forgotten as like, and it's a pretty good movie and it's got some good action. It's got a twisted turny plot. Why is this one sort of forgotten? Because in a couple of weeks we got Born Identity. Yeah. And I think Born exactly. Identity just overwrote this movie. Right after I watched <laughs> everyone's this. Everyone's memories. Right after I watched this, the trailer for Mission Impossible came out. I get that like James, the James Bond movies have always teetered towards like a Marvel movie version of the Jack Ryan movies. But mm -hmm. the Mission Impossible movies are my spy-based political espionage middle ground. That's that's I'm not a bit the biggest born fan, but I love those Mission Impossible those recent Mission Impossible movies. Three, four, and six are some of the best, best movies I've ever seen. Love Mission Impossible. And this and this is just sort of like most of the time the our hero makes phone calls. That's what he does. Yeah. I think a problem people had with this film and one reason why it's gotten forgotten is because I'm not sure Ben Affleck can play an analyst that well. I'm not sure he gives there, off that vibe. There were a couple of lines, and like, oh, he's way too meatheaded to say something like that. <laughs> that, that does, I do not believe that coming out of his mouth. You know, it's so funny to think that uh, he played the meathead and Matt Damon played the genius in, in Goodwill Good Hunting. Hunting. Wow. Now they got spy movies coming out almost against each other, and Matt Damon's the violent one, and Ben Affleck's the thinky one. And now, huh. 10 years from now, they'll probably have Jack Ryan versus Jason Bourne just to pay their mortgage. Can't wait to see it. Can't, but I, yeah, I was not very moved by this film. But, but I'm, not, I'm not a big fan of the Tom Clancy movies, but how do you think it ranks among the Tom Clancy movies? Uh, third. Wow, really? All right. Yeah. Third? What, what, what's your ranking? I will go with Hunt for October is clearly number one. Mm -hmm. Number two is probably... The one we're going to talk about next week. Ah, don't Ooh. tell them what it is, Jr. And don't look ahead. No looking ahead. Oh, I, I, this, I actually think it's the the other Harrison Ford movie. Okay, I let's like that talk one. about that next week. Then we will. And I, I, I will. Last thing I had in my notes was that um, 
I cannot believe Leah Shriver didn't turn evil. Like, I just really did. Did you watch this movie? Like, oh, he's the total bad guy. This <laughs> it's, it was a that great thing. Diana mentioned like this guy's too famous to be in the movie this little. He has to pop up at the end with a detonator yeah. in his hand, and he didn't. I was shocked. I was totally shocked. That's the kind of character I like. Is just sort of like undercover grunt spy. Yeah. He's just complaining about like, oh, you've got cool stuff. I don't even get email. <laughs> that was my favorite line from the movie. Shoot him. Yeah. Shoot him. Shoot him before he realizes what I'm saying. Oh, shoot, that was shoot, a great shoot. line. Yes. <laughs> All right, moving on to television of 2002. Max X is, oh, this show is incredible. Maximum what? exposure? I don't think I know what this is. Dude. They show sometimes fatal accidents. With a oh, guy God. who talks like this. Oh, no. Oh, man. You ever see that Disney Blam thing? Uh-oh, Donald. Looks like you're about to fall in a balloon. Blam! It's uh. like that where people die. It's oh, it's totally tasteless and, and, and uh, cheaply put together and the most annoying narrator in television history. Max. The narrator is credited as smart Alec announcer, dude. Yeah, <laughs> dude, it's bad and and His also name great. is Cam Brainerd. There, yeah. extreme extreme sports accidents and animal attacks are for the days they're feeling classy. Yeah. Oh, yes. oh man, I hope this Russian jet doesn't tra- doesn't fall into this highway full of people. Uh oh, <laughs> boing! Like it's like it's oh, no. jokes. From uh, idiocracy about what America's Funniest Home Videos might be. That's what Max X is and was. I cannot believe it's been 20 years. Because it, like its content is indistinguishable. So you can re- – I remember you could see this rerun forever on numerous channels. Because mm. whatever. If you like this stuff, every episode's going to make you – going to appeal to you in some way. The show Philly ends – unless if this is not about a sandwich, I don't care. I'm stuck. Yeah. Uh, it's about a single mom defense attorney in Philadelphia. Single oh. female lawyer fighting <laughs> for her clients. But are there any good TV shows set in Philly? Uh, fuck, I had one for a second. Damn it. Uh, the opening credits of Fresh Prince? There you go. Doesn't count. Doesn't count. Um, uh, always Sunny in Philadelphia. Boom! Duh. Boom. Even though yeah. it's... It, it, JR is admitting to never having watched one of the best shows on television. Oh it's been on goodness. for 15 seasons. Yeah. It's very Bye. good. It's very, very good. I'm sad. And it's also almost always, always sunny in downtown Los Angeles. It never looks like <laughs> Philadelphia. <laughs> nope. Um, nope. Some drive bys in the opening credits, and that's yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> they go there <laughs> they sometimes. The but... They never have to salt the road. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's, there's never any snow. Uh, Nickelodeon. We got SpongeBob SquarePants airing the episode Chocolate with Nuts. Here's a little clip from that. If we keep exaggerating the truth, we'll be fancy living in no time. Hooray for lying! <laughs> SpongeBob and Patrick sell chocolate bars door to door in order to get rich. Yeah. I'm not a SpongeBob fan, but I have been exposed to memes on the internet. And watching this episode, you'll be like, that's a meme. That's a meme. Yeah, it was, it was in like the top 20 favorite spongebob episodes but on some poll at some time that doesn't hold up it has been revised but like i i don't know i i was never able i've only watched spongebob like at a friend's house i love spongebob though it's one of the greatest things that happened in animation in 20 years the education of max bickford ends on what channel was that i can't remember um uh, richard dreyfus is a professor and he I'm has an affair with a former student and his daughter is trying to find her way in life. 
and uh, his best friend undergoes a sex change operation. Mm. Oh, I'm sure they handled that very, very tactfully back on <laughs> CBS in 2002. Great. Uh, and all, and uh, jumping 10 years ahead from the previous segment, which is sort of the format, uh, we have the... <laughs> The 56th Annual Tony Awards, hosted by Bernadette Peters and Gregory Hines. Yay. Best play is The Goater, who is Sylvia. Best musical, Thoroughly Modern Millie. I'm guessing that's The Revival? Or uh, Revival of Into the Woods. Private Lives. Um, scanning. Is there anything that got turned into a movie? No. I don't know. Oh, John Lithgow for Sweet Smell of Success for a lead actor in a musical. Why do I know noises off? I, I shouldn't know that, but I do. My stupid sister. Oh, yeah. Something I, 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 I'm not tired of talking about. Maybe I'll have to turn up full laser time into just mtv's abandonment of itself mm. utter mm. abandonment of like what yeah. it was and what it used to be it's not just the music video thing i came up in the era of i just watched jackass 4.5 and like steve-o in the the shoot is wearing an mtv shirt and like oh i totally forgot you guys were related in any fucking way because like th- there's nothing on mtv that there's nothing on mtv but ridiculous <laughs> <laughs> right now, uh, and, and but the movie awards air this week, and this was like my favorite thing to watch every year. I oh, love the movie awards; so much fun. Yeah, and I mean, technically, they still have them, but they're like the movie and TV awards, and they're all talking about shit. I, I have no idea what to talk about because I'm old now. This is one of my favorite ones, and there's one because a joke that it doesn't hold up, and one that does. Hosted by Sarah Michelle Geller and Jack Black, and they do this huge parody of Spider-Man. And MTV Movie Awards became pretty notorious for, like, elaborate... It's what the Oscars does now and what the Emmys do now, but it was just MTV doing it 20 years ago. Getting high-name celebrities in big productions of parodies of popular films. And this one is Spider-Man. And I just remember Jack Black, like, drawing his notebook, his costume, and he keeps writing, not gay enough and and, the, and and then they cut to the shoot and they added jack black's pot belly to every cg shot from the spider-man movie and it looks <laughs> it looks awesome it, lo- it looks totally awesome i believe sarah michelle geller complaining like it was really hard trying to get my tits to look like kirsten dunce's tits in the rain it was something they spent way too much time on <laughs> i didn't know our tits were that different uh, uh... Uh, but yeah, what I remember is this was when Lord of the Rings, a fellowship of the ring, got recognized in a big way. Where the Oscars it... was pretty far off from doing that at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, at least two years. Two years. And then we do the whole do, do the whole shebang. But yeah, Lord of the Rings wins uh, best movie. Will Smith wins best performance for Ali. Nicole Kidman for Moulin Rouge. That's how far back these things go, though. And um, it gives a special award. Mm-hmm. To a new actor no one had ever heard of, Orlando Bloom. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Holy shit. Yeah. Best breakthrough male performance, beating DMX, Colin Hanks, Daniel Radcliffe, and Paul Walker. Wow. What the fuck? <laughs> oh, no, I like this better, though. Best breakthrough female is Mandy Moore for A Walk to Remember, beating two Oscar winners, Anne Hathaway, Penelope Cruz, and Shannon Sossaman, and Britney Spears. Wow. <laughs> Wow, wow, wow. And uh, uh, I also like the musical performances here are The White Stripes, Eminem. And to prove unequivocally that it's 2002 on MTV, Kelly Osbourne doing her cover of Madonna's Papa, Don't Preach. (laughs) Um, Somebody, one of these things does not belong. They did get one right thing, though. Best new filmmaker, Christopher Nolan from Memento. That's that's nuts, especially like being like fucking... 72 hours after the release of Insomnia. Mm-hmm. 
and and clearly they've never seen following. But the perhaps the absolute biggest news on television twenty years ago. If you walk through the garden, you better watch your back. Well, I beg your pardon. I made every white person hard in the listening audience. It's the Wire theme song. Not my favorite version. I love they change the theme song every season. Yeah, I, I like that a lot too. Uh, the Wire, a show you've heard so you had to have heard so much about it that I, now I find it difficult to describe. It's the only show to ever cause the sitting president of the United States of America to invite its creator to have a conversation mm. at the White House. That, who are they, these guys? David Simon, Ed Burns. Um, I'm trying to remember their names. Um, I mean, he's, he's the creator, but they had oh shoot, who are they? Um, not, it's not uh, the same. It's not, it's, no, not this Ed Burns. It's, it's a different Ed Burns. Yeah, yeah. Burns. All right. George Pelicanos, who's a, a written a whole bunch of books. Yes, and, and, and that's yeah. what's fascinating about they make this show that is I don't want to say intentionally complicated. But like I, I think like sort of what Jr. was talking about with like don't make a movie out of this, make a mini series about this. And they had mm-hmm. a mini series, a great mini series called The Corner. And it wasn't from people who'd made knockdown, drag out dramas. It was from journalists who'd written articles about crime and politics. And let's just be clear, it's always Baltimore. <laughs> uh, there's a new there's a new show by these guys that I've heard no one talk about. And it's the same, and it's excellent. We own this city on HBO Max. Oh. Jay Barenth, and everybody from The Wire is in it. Like, oh, look, Poot's a cop now. Herc's a, <laughs> Herc's a politician. Four episodes into six, and I've heard not one word. I looked at its television ratings. And not unlike The Wire, I think more people listened to our podcast last week than watched oh. this mm. Wire follow-up about Baltimore. Yeah. This one specifically yeah. is about police corruption. Well, this, this show, The Wire, had really bad timing when it comes to its popularity it came out when the shield had just premiered that it came out when the sopranos was peaking at its popularity mm-hmm. and it just continually failed to get big ratings year after year it barely got renewed i they never knew if this was going to be the final season or not and each time it was just like you guys are getting really Ah, fine. One more season. The Wire is one of those shows I was in on immediately. And I think it was because of The Shield. I wasn't watching a lot of cop shows. And I knew The Shield. This is not a cop show. Not fundamentally. The first season is, yes. Well, it's about cops. The first season is only about cops. No, it's 100% about the drug dealers as well yeah and no no going to community right. college taking economics like, classes every be a better drug dealer every and what's beautiful about the wires every season expands the opposite of Fortnite. i'm trying to get the kids in expands the circle of why things are happening how well-meaning like there's not mm-hmm. any real villains in the even the drug dealers are sort of like you see where the drug dealers are coming from. Right. You see, the like, fuck am I if supposed I to do? had been born into that lifestyle, I could see myself going down the path you're going down. And, and How you many see, fucking options are there? And you see, yeah. you there's that new show, We Own the City, there's the same character who plays one of the same characters on The Wire playing the same character on We Own the City, giving the same speech, like, I might have this job for a year. Why should I rock the boat? Like, this is all politics. If I rock this too much, I'll be out in a month. Like, how well-meaning people fail because of areas of bureaucracy. I like, 
I like these government programs. That's I'm, I'm saying that, but like it shows how well-meaning people. That's what I always loved about the wire. It shows how well-meaning people fail. Competent the, people. The fail. wire is fundamentally about forces larger than the individual. Yes, and that's rare in American fiction, not just movies, but novels, television shows. It's about the individual overcoming the system. And the wire is fundamentally the system will overcome the individual. Yes. Every time. And that's yep. what's it, it. The first season, it's like you kind of have to learn who these 40 characters are. The central <laughs> conflict is drug dealers and cops. And like, we need this money to create this division. And then you get to see like from the drug dealers perspective, how they respond to police and the people they mm -hmm. hire to do this, to stay away from the police. And you get to see the police all the way up the chain, like the fucking mayor and senators to like why they can't get what they need to. And I love, remember the first season is like, we, what are these people sending these people? What are these drug dealers sending? Uh, we, we, our, our, our phone taps can't get this. And it was pictures. Nobody <laughs> yeah. in law enforcement had any idea how to tap a phone and engage with pictures. And it was something they had to figure out 20 years ago. <laughs> and it, this, is, this is something like that journalists uncovered. Like it, and they were, oh, it, it's such a great moment. And again, I was watching this simultaneously with The Shield. And I, I watched it almost to like balance me out because The Shield was like too, I love The Shield, but it is too like hardcore into... This is too uh, uh, madcap to exist, but the, it's fun to watch. Whereas The Wire mm -hmm. is like, this is what it's really like. And this is how painful it can be to watch competent people fail while doing a good job. It, it, it's yeah. why life sucks for everyone. And that's, that's I, it's hard to recommend The Wire, but that's always how I describe it. Oh, 100% no, recommend I, The Wire with yeah, the I, caveat mm -hmm. that this demands a lot of you. This yeah. is like reading a book. You need to give it your full attention because The mm -hmm. Wire is very much a show, not tell TV show. Yeah. You are going to see people in season one and they're going to be referenced 20 hours of television later. And The Wire is expecting you to remember who that person yeah. is. And there's a lot of characters and some of them kind of look alike. Yeah. Um, and I that was actually my problem. I... I'd heard that this was, you know, critically acclaimed, but like no one I knew was watching it. Oh. I was still watching The Sopranos, obviously, but I was like, I'll get around to it. And like over time, its reputation has definitely grown and grown to the point where now I feel like is the best time to watch it. Because like when I rewatched The Sopranos, binging it made it so much better because I could remember so many more characters yes. yeah, and understand like, oh, that guy from four episodes ago who had his mom was sick. And now I understand why he's over here. It's it's the same. No, I'm uh, Diana. I'm having. I'm struggling Sorry. with Better Call Saul just because, like, yeah, these are minor characters introduced four years ago. Like, I don't know what the yeah. fuck you're talking about. Yeah. yeah so and, if you watch it, you know, pretty much like one a night, two a night, like it, it's clicking a lot better. I have to yeah. admit, I also have not finished it. What? Diana, the last season is yours. It's all about journalism. Oh my god. I know. I've only watched the first season, so that that is my goal for the rest of the year. Is I'm going to run the entire thing and everyone will tell yeah. you the second season sucks but it doesn't it's just the only no. one that doesn't fold into the larger uh, it arc. touches into it but that's it's a part of the point of the wire and we'll talk about season two when it comes out but each season is showing you a different aspect of why this city is fundamentally first season drugs apart. and crimes I mean, i'm just going through this for my own benefit second season is 
Death of the, the working, working Class. Death of the Working Class. Third season is the Hamsterdam season. The uh, the guys who are like, just ignore these drug dealers if they're in these areas, and we will have a lower crime rate. We will have a lower arrest rate. We will, like our stats will approve. Fourth season is education and children. And the fifth season, Diana, is journalism. How does journalism I've had play? So many, I, I've had multiple people ask me how, as someone who has worked in real newsrooms in large cities, how, how it stacks up uh, to reality. And I have to say, I haven't gotten that far. It, it, it hurts. I'm so embarrassed. But On... can we talk about the cast? Yeah. Jeebus, is this the deepest bench I've ever fucking seen? Everyone from like Reggie Cappy, RIP, to you Michael know, K. West, Williams, RIP. <laughs> Michael K. Williams, RIP. Idris Elba, Wood Harris, Wendell Pierce. Wendell Always Pierce. happy to see Wendell Pierce. Wendell Pierce is a shit. Um, that's that investigation scene where they Dominic always say West. fuck a million times. Yeah. Is uh, one of the best scenes I've ever seen. <laughs> and the, the best it's a fucking master. And, and some of these people, like uh, a lot of the <laughs> drug dealers, are people cast off the streets of Baltimore. It, it, it's it's wonderful. It's it feels authentic and true and I don't know, man. I can't I like you you there, you've had someone more elegant and smarter than me recommend The Wire to you. But watching this new show, I'm like, yeah, most shows don't ask this much of people. Like like it asks a lot. Like yeah. The Sopranos, it's taking its time mm-hmm. to tell a story. I mean, this is not a go, go, go cop show. That's why I think fundamentally it's not even a cop show. A cop nope. show, the crescendo is the moment of excitement when they chase down the bad guys. And in The Wire, that's skipped over half the time. Yeah, Like you don't even get to see the uh, quote unquote money shot of them doing a lot of the stuff. Uh, the Wire in the show called The Wire isn't even introduced until like episode six, episode seven. Right. But that's, what, <laughs> that's why I'm saying the first season is cops and drug dealers. And like yeah. everything that that happens around that, it is the most focused season that there is. But IMO, thinking about all my favorite characters, it's the least interesting because th- they don't expand the circle as much as they do in following seasons, where it gets utterly fucking fascinating. If you want to understand, and this is all based on like it's not it's not based on true stories, but it's based on r- reality from people who cover Baltimore crime for a living. It's must watch and. Uh, it's pretty short. It's only what he's only like sixty episodes, I think. It, but it's worth your time. And but he, he can't really hold your phone like I do a lot oh, when yeah. I watch stuff. No. And God no, this is uh, not a folding laundry, not a looking on your phone. In fact, put your phone on your charger in the other room and just oh, give this your full. And if you have seen it, I'm most excited about this. They painstakingly went into the because the the wire. I think almost all of it was shot for television as in full frame where the Sopranos was smart enough to like remaster everything in widescreen they had to go back to the negatives and redo the wire uh, I think a, a couple of years ago and by that I mean less than five to oh. remaster this in HD because it was all it was all shot on film thank god but it was all cut and framed to be square and they redid it and I'm like I've always wanted to go back and rewatch it because uh, a complicated show for a complicated world, and you'll never you'll never look at your world the same way again after the wire. That's that's the best compliment I can give it. Now, I, when they did that with Buffy, they had mm-hmm. like shots of the boom mic operators yeah. because it was never intended to be shown no, in the widescreen. There, there's like entire YouTube videos and articles about how. They really wanted to make sure it looked good, and the Buffy left out color correction in certain shots. It was like pretty 
ham-fisted, but it's HBO. So like they they okay. paid the money. There is a a better and they wanted to sell they wanted to sell gift sets to uh NPR tote bag people every Christmas. So <laughs> they had to remaster yeah. it in HD somehow. Uh I'm so bummed because I wanted to ask you guys if you had seen David Simon's earlier work, Homicide Life on the Street. Yes. Which is a show I did watch when it was on and it was so hard to find. They moved it around the schedule and yeah. then it died. And I cannot recommend that show enough, and yet not streaming fucking anywhere. Right, I think it's it 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 has a super expensive like what is it three two seasons four seasons like a box set that's yeah. very expensive. Yeah, I'm sure music rights is part of it, but it's like if the wire if you had the grittiness of the wire, but in a more conventional network TV cop show, mm-hmm. but it had again like ridiculous cast that was fan fucking tastic and and. and- the last thing I'll say about it, I swear, I, I know I've talked enough about The Wire. In terms of the models we have now, like I love that new Kids in the Hall show. I am shocked by how good it is. And I'm sure it's not popular because if you they don't release numbers on streaming because they're bad. They're really bad. More people <laughs> listening to this podcast than watching like the number 20 show on any streaming service. It's It's not good. But The Wire always had bad numbers. But not only great critical reviews, I just remember people started coming out and like, in the beginning of social media, like do not cancel this show. And it was worth it to HBO. This will keep these people subscribed for up to five years to keep this going. Cause it was always a loser. I think it wasn't until like the third or fourth season where people started giving a shit about the wire. I was there in the beginning though. I was getting the, the DVDs off Netflix, uh, the disservice and burning them. And I remember this was the most infuriating, infuriating thing ever. This is when, um, they started making exclusive discs for Netflix because they knew people were not nah. HBO. They would sell their complete first season of The Wire, $85 of 2002 money. Not not inexpensive. That is two years of HBO Max. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so like you could buy like this four disc set. For Netflix, they would send them a disc with one to two episodes. Some discs had one sure. episode Jeez. on it. No. So when you're like mailing them out, like you Wow. It take like five oh. days to get, get the next episode of The Wire. And it's already out. Why am I not stealing this? Anyway, that's it. The Wire is great. Please watch it. And a minor plug for We Own This City. It, it, if you like Jay Barenthal in Baltimore accents, I've never seen anybody. Dude, he does. It's great. Very, very good. It's a six-episode series on HBO Max that's in its fourth episode as we are recording. Um Awesome. From now all- I have to look up. Are you talking about Jay Baruchel or John Bernthal? John Bernthal. That's you what I said. Variation. I did. I did. It's this is John the first Bernthal. 30 2010 where I've had a drink in like a, in like a year. <laughs> That's okay. We all do it. Gotta wake up. <laughs> Gotta wake up. The Wire, ladies and gentlemen. Moving on to games of 2002, May 27th through June 2nd. Uh, Lindy Tunes Space Race, which. Matt, for some reason, like, this is the best Looney Tunes game. He said that in a chat Ooh. for Video Game Apocalypse last week. I mean, if this shows why Mario Kart reigns supreme. Mm. You have eight characters. They all play exactly the same. Mm. And it gives you boring-ass tracks. Well. It doesn't give you the chance to race around What's Opera Doc or race around no, Wacky No, it's that Land. Chuck Jones, Planet X, Marvin the Martian... Uh-huh. MU36 no, space. There's none later. of that. The the thing it has going for it is Adele shaded, yeah. Yeah. which upres amazingly. I mean, honestly, every game from the early 2000s that was in 3D should have been cell shaded. Yeah, like Chip in the Rescue so Rangers movie. Aggressive Inline on PS2 is out this week. It had decent reviews, and for some reason, 
I think we might be talking about a lot of roller skating on VGA this week. So uh, there, there are some people who say this is a better game than Tony Hawk. I think the problem why this never went anywhere is because this is the last year you could have a game about inline skating. The mm-hmm. trend was over. It was already one foot in the grave and it just couldn't go anywhere because it wasn't handling something people were doing that much anymore. I, I, I had been skating. I have been skating a lot lately and I have <laughs> to rent my skates and it's like, do you want quad or inline? I'm like, Show me a picture. I don't know what the fuck you're talking. <laughs> Sorry, you think about it for a second. You know exactly what it is. But it's like, yeah, the, the quads overtook for control and steerage and ease of staying up. Nobody cares about looking cool while skating because that's impossible. So, <laughs> But you, you can look a lot cooler on quads because you'll stay up a little easier and you can steer a little better and do tricky trick tricks. Uh, whereas a lot more balance required for inline. So fuck inline, I'm saying. Quad all the way. Medal of Honor Frontline for PS2 is out this week. And that's first that's... game to feature Normandy in the entire series. Is it really? Um, wow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. This is kind of the start of Normandy being the new Hoth. Mm. This is the first game where you fight beside a large squad of bots. Being 2002, uh, that large squad is four. Four dudes. <laughs> but it wears its movie heritage on the sleeve. There's a bridge too far level. Uh, nice. There's a fighting along Easy Company from Band of Brothers, yeah. and there's a U-boat episode, which is definitely DOS boot. Nice. When, uh, there's a moment where you are in disguise in a bar, and it almost becomes adventure an adventure game, like this close to being an adventure game where you have to plan your escape. Speaking of Hoth, second Star Wars game. Ha <laughs> Ah, fucked you up. Uh, uh, Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones is out on GBA, and JR loves it. It's amazing. They made a game about swinging a lightsaber where you kill tons of disposable enemies, and they made it boring. I, I, it's a very weird era. Star Wars is more represented in video games than ever before during the prequels, and almost nothing sticks and stands the test of time. Not one thing. Very strange. Way of the Samurai is also out for on, on PS2. I think Michael started a popular series. Yeah. Uh, I've never really played them, but I love the early Meiji period. It's such a fascinating event in history because it's when Japan opened up to the world and began modernizing. It's as close as you're ever going to get to like time travel in the real world because you had like a genuinely medieval society suddenly bring in guns and railroads all within a very short period of time. Michael likes that series, I believe. Uh, Michael, Mr. Diana Goodman of Video Game Apocalypse. So I'm going to put this unfair plug on him. If you want to hear more about Way of the Samurai, eventually listen to Video Game Apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> Taking us out, we're going to use I Need a Girl by uh, P. Diddy featuring Usher because it's on the charts this week. But stay right there. We got one last segment 10 years ago. So don't move. That's why I need me a girl to be true to me. Know about the game and know how it do to me. Without a girl on my side, she to ruin me. Forget the world, girl. It's you and me. Now let's ride. Mr. 
is Internet and all the ships at sea. It's time for Diana's Classic Corner. We go even further back in time this week to see if there's anything worth a watching. And for the week of May 27th through June 2nd, we've got a movie like I, I feel silly even recommending because it's such a like, well, uh, you might as well. If you're going to watch this, you're probably going to watch the whole series. Rocky Three turns 40 this week from 1982, which is I don't think it's anybody's favorite you know, because the first Rocky is so understated and sweet. And then the second and the third ones are more kind of a typical sportsy sort of movie. And then the fourth one's just bonkers. And, and, you know, and then they kind of bounce around after that. Uh, but, you know, Rocky Three, it's a fun one. It's It's got Mr. T in it. That's, that's pretty much it. That's pretty much all I have to say about it. And we'll, we're going to go more in depth uh, on Laser Time about especially this summer of 1982 because my god this is this is the lull before the storm of insane i can't believe all these movies are coming out at the exact same time in 1982 so on top of rocky 3 which is sort of like yeah it's fine turning 50 this week though i think is more historically important film even though it's better known as a soundtrack than a movie the harder they come turns 50 this week 1972 starring and with music by jimmy cliff movie that really popularized reggae brought reggae to a huge audience so many people they just know the soundtrack and they t- they've never seen the freaking movie which is a pretty good movie you know honestly in a weird way it kind of ties in with what we we're talking about with the wire where it's just about you know a, a guy trying to make good and he's got you know a record producer is going to screw him over you know and he's he's selling weed and there's you know cops are after him other drug dealers are after him and I feel bad that I think it might be the only movie from Jamaica I've ever seen. Um, unless the Mighty Quinn counts, which I don't think is actually made by Jamaicans. But yeah, The Harder They Come, 1972, totally fun, watchable movie, and a soundtrack just... I, I'm having trouble thinking of a movie that is so overshadowed by a soundtrack. Then, yeah, The Harder They Come, maybe Superfly, maybe Trouble Man. Those are, you know, you could just not even watch the movie and you'll feel like you're watching the movie by listening to them. Those are both huge recommendations for music, by the way. Trouble Man soundtrack. Mwah! Modern masterpiece. Anyway, uh, that's it for this week. Stay classic. Coming into 2012 with a payphone by Maroon 5 featuring Wiz Khalifa. Mm. Oh, it's it's on the charts this week, but then 10 years later, the last payphone in New York was just removed. Really? This oh, week? Yes, just this week. Man, how am I going to call my 2022. bitch of an ex-wife while I yell at my captain? Um, sorry, that's all I know about New York is from movies. What, mm-hmm. what is Superman to do? <laughs> don't even have booths let alone debbie the, oh, the, the pay phone there, there, is gone. there are booths but he's gonna have to get intimately familiar with a couple of peeps like like <laughs> our peep show guys <laughs> new new album releases uh 2012 may 27th to june uh 2nd also include day daybreaker by architects classical curves by jam city uh this is pil the first public image limited album in 20 years childhood's end by ulver celebration rock by uh japan droids what we saw from the cheap seats by regina specter among the leaves by sun kill moon and lex hives by the hives somebody that i used to know by codier is still number one 
Number one. A little bit of news to bring you into 2012. How about Indonesian police make the biggest drug bust in 10 years after seizing over a, a million ecstasy pills valued at $45 million? One million pills. That... And I guess they go for $45 a pop, given the math? <laughs> I can yeah. do that math. I can check that. I, yes, unless you unless the bags are in there or something. I never got I never got ecstasy in bags. I was never buying that much. Does it have hmm. a Tweety Bird or UFO on it? Who can say? Uh, <laughs> haven't thought about ecstasy in in probably ten years. <laughs> I do kind of wonder, like, how big is that box of a million pills? Like, if they're loose in there, it's still not that big. If it's just loose pills, it's probably like a large steamer trunk. And if that it's sounds about right, and if yeah. it's just loose pills in the bag, is enough powder to press? I would say one thousand more pills. So do <laughs> yeah. not do not freeze on that thing, people. That could really fuck you up. Also, this week Egypt formally ends its thirty-one year state of emergency. What? Yep, Egypt yep. Uh, declared a temporary state of emergency. It's just going to last a little while, guys, and it lasted thirty-one years, and then they reimposed it about four years after this. Wow. Wow, and in a hard pivot to Sex and the City, Cynthia Nixon, she marries activist Christina Marnoni, Mm -hmm. and they're still together. A woman? A woman? I mean, man, I always thought... (laughs) I'm trying to remember her name on Sex and the City. What is it? Um, Martha? It's not Martha. (laughs) Jesus. Uh, <laughs> she always gave off a gay vibe, but uh, she'll always be Tanner Miranda. 88's. Miranda, Miranda, yes, yeah, she'll always be Tanner eighty eight. Cynthia Nixon to me. Deep cut, yeah, deep cut. Love my love my Gary Trudeau, <laughs> Robert Altman team ups. Moving on to movies of twenty twelve, a movie I this whole section I meant to like rewatch or watch for the first time, such as Piranha three D D, because I loved Piranha. 3D. Yeah. And you um, will not love this. Right. Yeah. This this film has its defenders, though. Uh, There are some people who say it's an utterly good film, that it bounces along. The world building is just the right mix of soft and firm. The plot doesn't droop, but instead remains perky throughout. They call it a well-rounded film. All right, JR, what are we doing here? Thanks going for it. But those people are boobs. Giant huge boobs, I say, because this is not a good film. This is not even a good bad film. It's just a bad film. Yeah, I, I agree. Whole cupidly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know Piranha 3D is such a fun, you know, campy, goofy, bad movie that is, you know, very naughty, but fun. And this, like, they really up the naughty and it doesn't, like... It doesn't I, work, for one thing. It's uh, trying to be a parody of what they are because it's not paying off. Yeah. It's it's, just, it didn't pay off at all. They, tits. they also set it at a water park and it's not a good enough setting to be an interesting horror film about the water. Television Jaws 3. What? Uh, water parks, you can get out of the water pretty darn quickly, no matter where you are in a water park. You're like five steps away from land at all time in the water park. Sounds like someone's never up... been at a Panama City lazy river ride. It's, oh, it's <laughs> too relaxing to get out. But they try to build up the giant end scene where the piranhas all come into the water park, but that's a mistake. It should be constant tension, not building up to this one big splurge where it's just like, well, 
now you killed everyone and it wasn't really that interesting and yeah it's it, it's 110 minutes of film and 20 minutes of credits <laughs> and those credits are filled with not particularly interesting bloopers so they didn't have a good film they knew they didn't have a good film if you really like piranha one which i think is guilty pleasure fun sure mm -hmm. enjoy that watch the trailer for this and you've got everything for well, you I, need from this film it sounds like something i should probably prep a laser time on in that piranha 3d is this regressive out of nowhere throwback to movies that are no longer made and then when you get a hit with something like that and like well now we're gonna try and make a franchise out of it like no it was sort of because you were revisiting something we haven't seen in a while doesn't mean we want to see it all the fucking time Quentin Tarantino doesn't go around making sequels to Kill Bill or fucking Hateful uh, Eight. Yeah, Hateful Eight or Django Unchained. It's like, it doesn't work like that. You get one of these and that's why it's special. And you make it unspecial the more you make of it. And yeah. anything you that's can fair. up, it, it just makes you a shitty 80s movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, it kind of is just ends up being a shitty 80s movie. Yeah. yeah. It, wasn't, just, it wasn't fun. And the other one is just so much fun. I, I, I've... Never heard of this film, but I've heard of everybody in the cast here. Harry oh, Belafonte, yeah. Quincy Jones, Oprah Winfrey, Lorne Michaels, uh, Paul McCartney, Whoopi Goldberg, Peter Gabriel, David Byrne, and Paul Simon in Under African Skies. So with a cast like that, it's a documentary, right. okay? Yeah. They're not acting out scenes. <laughs> this is not a film about someone's, you know, inner journey through middle age. But Paul, where will you be under the skies? In Africa? Going to Graceland. <laughs> yeah, so it's a documentary both about Paul Simon's Graceland, about him 25 years after recording it going to South Africa. And mostly it's about the controversy from the time because South Africa was still under apartheid. And mm -hmm. so there was a huge boycott divestment movement and he hired South African musicians. Granted, they were black South African musicians. And so now we have a controversy on our hands. Like, yeah. do is that still boycotting if you're supporting the people who are being oppressed? Or are they the government still going to get money because you're supporting them? Are you normalizing this? And I mean, it's a fucking great album. And it's a really good documentary. It's and a great documentary. I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was interesting. Uh, to put it in a contemporary context, Russia has a vibrant music scene. How would you feel about a popular American artist going to Russia today and recording with Russian musicians? Now, what if it was Russian musicians who were against the invasion of the Ukraine and were known for being provocative against the Russian secret police? Yeah. yeah. Would what you still have a problem riot? with that? Yeah, my pussy yeah. riot. There you go. Pussy riot. Yeah. I just well, want I just want I want every Lorne Michaels sound clip. It, it wasn't a good year for Africa. <laughs> <laughs> whatever anyway moving on to the number one of the box office movie uh this week which i am still kicking myself for not having watched oh um, i can summarize it for you oh you, please you've seen them lord of the rings movies yeah there you go oh no raffi cassidy vincent regan brendan gleason uh toby jones nick frost sam claflin eddie marson ray winstone bob hoskins ian mcshane sam spurl chris hemsworth Kristen Stewart, Charlie's Theron, Charlie's Theron, Snow White the Huntsman. It's number one. Your prisoner escaped the castle and entered the dark forest. Hunt her down. Who are you? Why is the queen once you dead? You should know you're the one hunting me. 
seeing what she sees. I can kill her. Come to me if you dare. <laughs> Far and away more successful than the previous Snow White reboot right. we had uh, earlier. Right, Mirror Mirror, which was a, more of a light comedy. Yeah. It was it was infinitely sillier. This is a trillion percent trying to be Lord of the Rings. Oh my God. Chris Hemsworth is Aragorn with a shaky Scottish accent. We got Sam Claflin coming in as basically the Orlando Bloom. What the hell is his name? Legolas. Uh, Legolas. Thank you. Uh, Charlize Theron is off in her own <laughs> Chanel number five, Aaron, which I enjoyed. She goes big as is needed to be an evil queen who's obsessed with her youth and vitality so much so that she's like sucking the life out of people and she starts to age and she gotta suck the life out of somebody else and yell bring her to me while wearing a bunch of ridiculous outfits but man it was there was so much deja vu all over again like it was watchable mm -hmm. but it doesn't make it good like i'm not going to recommend it but it's right. like if you're trapped somewhere and it's on you don't have to cry it's, you'll be fine i, I, on the plane. I think yeah. it has a ton to do with uh kristen stewart her her big studio blockbuster following the twilight series because mm -hmm. no one else here is someone who can carry a hundred million dollar film and this chris helmsworth i don't think not, not, not now yeah. no not, not in 2012 our post avengers yeah you know, Charlize Theron, yeah, I love what the last time we talked about her, I think, was young adult. So that's kind of hilarious. But but this made $400 million. Yeah, it made Damn. It, it got a sequel. Let's talk about some sad things. This is Bob Hoskins' last film. Aww. And he does not seem well. He spends the whole movie sitting and his voice is very thin. Yeah, I, I think in terms of actors who are suffering with an illness, he's on screen the most and it's not cool. He was still um, working through a lot because yeah, I thought it was he, like full dementia. Is what no, he, it was uh, Parkinson's, Parkinson's and a bunch of other things, and he's he passes away within two years. Yeah, I, I don't know where else to say this other than here, but I did just watch the new Chippendale, mm -hmm. and Bob Hoskins should absolutely win a retrospective Oscar for his performance in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Yeah, because Amen. No one has come close to matching his level in that. To doing film. that much, I mean, dude, Chippendales Rescue Rangers gets rid of the human element because of how hard it is to match with everything else. Bob yeah. Hoskins had to sit there, sit there, and make eye contact with nothing, to sit on nothing, to touch nothing. No one does that in Rescue Rangers. It's just two yeah. cartoon characters. Yeah, but there are a few scenes in it where someone's talking sure. to the cartoons, and it doesn't work the way hoskins managed to pull it off i mean yeah. that is a performance for the ages that i more admire been matched in 25 years and i doubt will be matched in another 25 years and for the same reasons not in 25 years has someone been on screen shirtless with that hairy a back and just didn't <laughs> give a shit uh, uh. yeah so he he plays the, like the leader of the dwarfs which we have the dwarf conundrum here which is <laughs> the these are all you know Regular old actors, like typically BAFTA winning uh, lot, actors yeah, with their face photoshopped on doors. Ray Winstone and such, um, with their heads, you know, digitally placed on smaller bodies, mm -hmm. which the Little People of America advocacy group complained about saying, you're taking jobs away from real little people. But at the same time, it's like, but isn't that kind of a demeaning role for real little people? I don't know. Mirror, Peter, Mirror, Dink I Peter don't Dinklage know. thinks so. He, Peter, Peter Dinklage, Dinklage thinks so. Thinks so. He does not want Snow White remade by Disney. He thought it was yeah. in, in and, poor I taste. Mean, there, 
yeah, the dwarf syndists are cool. I think they say dwarfs once and then they just drop it. They're just smaller guys and they mine and they're tough as hell because they're like Ray Winstone. <laughs> but uh, we don't. Do we need to keep doing this? Do we yeah, need I don't know. To keep doing I, this I, I don't know how you I don't know how you get better than the original. And, and, and I was just at Disney World a few years ago and that ride based on the what the fuck? How are you going to get more cultural penetration than well, Snow White and the Sweeping Doors? You don't need more cultural penetration. You just need an extra billion dollars. Mm. Almost every single Disney live action adaptation of their classics, right. if it goes to theaters, makes close to a billion or mm-hmm. over a billion. It also costs yeah. like $400 billion. Yeah, that's true. I, million I, dollars. I still don't understand why with like Beauty and the Beast and Lion King. Like, I, I, I don't get it. Yeah, I don't see the money on screen. This uh, like I, I'm the reason. Uh, I, I needed something to take my kids to, and uh-huh. I took him to see that because no, no, I, I knew I, it would be fine. And we were in the theater I, and we got a theater experience. I wasn't, if I wasn't clear on it last week when I was watching Men in Black 3 last week and they had CG action sequences, and like, this looks so much better than modern CG action sequences. And if I had to distill that, I am pretty much aiming at Disney. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm talking to you. Your CG sequences don't look, they're passable, but you're the richest corporation in the world in hitting <laughs> a schedule and they don't look great. And Men in Black looked especially good 10 years on, which is not what happens with CG elements. Oh, I I just realized why we got two Snow White films so close to each other. Mm. Mm-hmm. Because Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland oh, yeah. made a billion dollars. Yes. Yep. That's yep. why everyone went, let's do public domain, but gritty. Yes. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And I think this has some of the same producers on it, which was also taking Alice in Wonderland and trying to make it more Lord of the Rings. This huge chunks of this look like lost footage from Two Towers, <laughs> man. It is uncanny. But I mean, I feel like the only fun thing or interesting thing we got out of this is going to drop in July when Kristen Stewart was having an affair (laughs) with the director of this who was married Mm. and oh oh no our Pat's broke his little heart never was so sad Rupert Saunders it's his first film and I I have to think this kind of stalled his film career a little he got his name brought up in the trades for the wrong reasons yeah and directing's okay and and it also is one of the few the few people under twenty five who have been slandered by the former president for <laughs> for this affair for real. That is, if you don't recall, uh, our mad king Donald Trump yelled at Kristen Stewart for hurting Robert Pattinson on this in a desperate cry for relevance on Twitter before he ran for president. This totally happened. He weighed in on that. This clear, like nobody I knew was cared about this but young people who like twilight why wouldn't you care about this yeah and I mean, you haven't seen chris hemsworth in a lot of stuff and mm. i don't know you're not just like totally burned out on you know blank but gritty so yeah i mean overall it, it made its money back and enough to to warrant a sequel with a sequel sequel and uh yeah it's just it's just why like <laughs> i don't feel like you're doing anything to, like everything you're doing to the story to make it different or more interesting is just lord of the rings shit i was looking for like one other influence like come on we're we're into the second season of game of thrones we got some game of thrones up in here now no it's just lord of the rings shit Mm. ah oh the tiniest dash of princess mononoke in one shot (laughs) (laughs) damn it now i'm interested again white stag 
and uh, it's like are we ripping off mononoke now too okay i'd be down with that i would love to see more films to rip off mononoke right yeah me too uh, i, yeah, I want more huntsman. troublesome it, murderous women yeah <laughs> no way the huntsman it's fine fine it exists it won't kill you to watch it but why would you there's better shit out there go, go fucking watch sister act compared to this <laughs> Oh, moving on to television of 2012, May 27th through June 2nd. Speaking of the internet making good on the airwaves, uh, the High Fructose Adventures of Annoying Orange debuts. Yeah, so this was the early YouTube gold rush. A guy came up with the Annoying Orange on YouTube and sold it to Cartoon like Network, I guess. Made... His, his eyes and mouth on an orange and other fruit and just became, it became an internet phenomenon, still is. I think it's still going, but now it's but a Cartoon Network show. It, it, the Cartoon, I only saw the Cartoon Network. It was not not funny. It was it was good. Yeah, it's, it's odd. The first episode has the protagonist go to therapy and it's, odd for a cartoon show aimed at kids to go to therapy and i'm i'm gonna put on my jay sherman line of the show the annoying orange is now rotten fruit because i did not think this was good i i i've i've seen stuff that has made me laugh and i would even go as far to say the next 10 years of cartoon network is amongst the best stuff it's ever made it's subversive and weird Oh, yeah. Shots fired at I know. the Powerpuff Girls, Dexter's Lo Lab. I love all that shit. I love it. I love it. I love Johnny Bravo and Cow and Chicken. I love all of that stuff. But it really doesn't hold a candle to Adventure Time, Steven Universe. Okay. Um, uh, my last comment on this is I don't know of a good show that has an annoying character as the main character. That usually doesn't mm. last. You're right. Uh, they usually shy away from that. You need a quiet main character in almost mm -hmm. any cartoon who meets. Uh, you you need the Winnie the Pooh who meets his Tigger. Yeah, yeah. I'm not watching something with annoying in the title. Yeah, <laughs> and high no. fructose. It's so. I'm old. I don't have time for that. I just I, get I remember annoyed by everything already. Why would I seek out things to annoy me more? Oh, I got stuff that can annoy you. I'll, if I Go. started with Care Bears, Welcome to Carolot debuts on the Hub. What? Uh... Yeah, there we're entering the phase of My Little Pony. Friendship is magic, inspiring other companies to try to revitalize their old properties. No, 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 no. That's a no. My Little Pony. Friendship is magic is a fluke. The Hub is, if we, I think we discussed this before, is a television channel created by Discovery and Hasbro to only mm. reboot. The, that's okay. why my My Little. I forget the woman's name who created the show but she's the magic sauce in my little yeah. pony it is hasbro intentionally rebooting shows no one's asking for to sell things okay and and eventually i think they've all sold their interests this is a failed corporate synergy thing the hub it's something that is deserving of a documentary at some point because i am the biggest care bears fan either of you know and i hate it it is <laughs> it, it it should most of it should be illegal i love the way it looks i own a couple animation cells i own a big uh tender heart and cheer bear and grumpy bear i i love the way it looks i grew up loving care bears i really did but i've never seen an animation style that felt so improvised in first drafty it is it is offensive <laughs> and one of the worst things i've ever seen in my entire life because it was 
I think if we trace back history, 83, the only people who were making animation at the time were Warner Brothers and Disney, and they would break a story and like figure out the characters and then rework them from there. And then American Greetings came in like, we have Care Bears and multiple million dollars, and we want this to be an animated sensation tomorrow. And that was their only goal. It's awful. Every All your faith in Care Bears is misplaced. I had a Care Bears doll too. I still love it. I have a ton of Care Bears stuff. It's even worse than He-Man. And it create, It may have created, helped create He-Man. He-Man helped create Care Bears. But uh, Care Bears is obviously more annoying. And I've never seen anything really take hold with Care Bears outside of preschoolers who yeah. like dolls because they're cute. Why wouldn't you like a fucking cute bear that's pink or green or orange instead of brown it's awesome you you have now talked about this show more than anyone in the history of mankind yeah all right i'll move on (laughs) breaking point debuts on the cw you've heard of try hard oscar bait Uh this is try hard jersey shore bait they take a show about ballet dancers and they are obviously trying to like cram in more drama than there was because they take them clubbing and it's really stagey and it doesn't look like they're doing anything but trying to just like shove in some controversy because ooh they're ballet dancers but they're going clubbing maybe one of them will hit the other and it doesn't happen and last but not not leastly we have mad men the other woman uh... oh so when i was teasing the wire last week at the end of the show Mm -hmm. and i started to say it's the only show that challenges the sopranos for supremacy and i had to change that to only hbo show that challenges because mad men is way up there for me and this episode is why this episode is amazing it's a gut punch episode so this is the episode where the company is trying to land a car account because car advertising is the holy grail of any advertising agency and the guy from jaguar lets it be known that he will give them the jaguar account if he can sleep with their secretary joan and it's a worthwhile trade Pretty lady. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. It is a tense episode. The last Mad Men episode we talked about had uh, the Englishman refer to Pete as a grimy little pimp. And in this ac- episode, that's accurate because he's the one who approaches Joan about the offer. And what she says to the offer is, you can't afford it. That's not a direct no. That's kind of the lead into the old joke. Uh, you know, man offers a woman a million dollars to sleep with him. Oh, she no. says oh, yes. No. Uh, he offers her a dollar to sleep with him. She says no. What type of woman do you take me for? The punchline is we already know what type of woman you are. Now we're just haggling the price. And to a large extent, that's what this episode is about. It's Joan's price. And she holds out for not money, but a percentage of the company itself, which sets up all of her future success throughout the rest of the series. And it's done very well, very emotionally, Mm. very adult. And there's a gut punch at the end where Don is the only one speaking out against this, the only one to say, no, don't do this. And Don's mother was a sex worker, a prostitute at a, as he calls it, whorehouse. So he's got an emotional stake in it, and he goes to her house and begs her not to do it. But then there's a cut that reveals that she had already done it before he goes to ask her not to do it. Mm -hmm. And then you're left as the audience wondering, 
does he he doesn't know that so for the rest of the series does he think joan went ahead and did it after his impassioned speech to her to not do it and then in parallel track with that is the story that is less flashy but still interesting and that it's about peggy actually like stepping up and really demanding respect and you know a raise and to be treated better even if that means leaving the company and going somewhere else or Mm -hmm. is she just using that as leverage to get stuff out of the firm that she's at uh god peggy is one of my favorite characters ever yeah the women of mad men are so fascinating so well done it's a fantastic character study drama i i often said if I hadn't done The Sopranos for my own podcast. I would have done Mad Men. It's a great show. I'd, if I ever get infinite free time, I'd love to tackle it in depth. Maybe mm. call me because I, I I got lost and by that. I mean I lost the disc I was watching, and I, <laughs> I, I, I was it like, what episode was I on? Like, in every episode description sounds like every other episode. Yeah, because um, yeah. they don't it's, reveal it's the big things. One that, yeah, it's good for binging. You just do like one or two a day. Just go for it. An excellent show and an excellent quandary because, like, I'm pro sex work, but I just can't imagine paying for sex unless it's Christina Hendricks. <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah. yeah, I wish okay, I was you know, rich like enough. You said, to... Everyone has a price. It's like, okay, would I would I do sex work for a hundred million dollars cash? Well, yes, I think everyone would. But she's she's one of the most a bunch of hooas? She's one of the most beautiful women on the planet, and kind of controls the office without without ever allowing anyone to withdraw yeah and, but the, and... The, the whole like her whole arc as a character over many many seasons is you know de- constantly trying to get respect for her brain mm-hmm. because it's a brain in this bombshell body yeah. and no one wants to actually hear her talk or her opinions but i would out, say oh, don very has... business navvy don has respected her from yeah. the first episode we never see Don really hit on her. And I think that's it's, because he recognized her as his equal, the female version of Don. So mm. strange. There's, there's not a lot of nice things about Don, except his relationship with women. It's like yeah. some women. Well, uh, profe- pro- professionally, professionally, yeah. like uh, everything else about him kind of sucks. He's, he's awful to his friends and his colleagues, except for the women in the show. And it's, it's better. My, He's better than the rest, yeah. but that bar is really low. It's really low, but it's like way better. But that, again, that's why the show's interesting. Like, what is this dude's deal? Well, it, it's always the question of, do you judge people by absolutes mm-hmm. or do you judge them by relativity? Because mm-hmm. people exist in different moments of time. If you put 2022 standards in 1773, Good luck finding a single person on the planet Earth who you would agree with. It's probably not going to happen. I regret that I have only one tweet to give for this moment. That's what I'm going to be based on for the rest of my life. Anyway, uh, I love Mad Men, and you're making me want to rewatch the whole shebang. It's worth a rewatch. Nope, I'm going to do The Wire. Do The Wire, for fuck's sake. Do The Wire first. I really feel like they're... Both Mad Men and The Wire are meditations on a lack of change and depression and how we had no recourse for anything uh, back then. Anyways, moving on to video games of 20... It's hard to be a white straight male. No, 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 not that. Executive in the 60s. Not that. It's just that, like, life sucked for uh, most people. 
and, and, and always has. And we build yeah. these myths around ourselves. And you even see these successful people. And like the only one who's happy is the guy who's old enough to like be near death. <laughs> Everyone <laughs> else is struggling with stuff. Someone old enough to put the Japanese hentai up on the wall. Yeah. <laughs> oh, RIP, we just lost him too. Bert. Games of 2012. Deer Drive Legends. So is this a John Deere racing game or... This is uh, shoot animals, shoot them, shoot them some more, eat their flesh, and use their carcasses as decorations. I avoided hunting my whole life, but I guess if I didn't, this is less expensive than hunting. Yeah. <laughs> Don't say it like it's a bug. That's true. I, with the name like Deer Drive, I just feel like it's like a road rally game and a deer is your co-pilot. Hi, I'm Bambi, and I'm here <laughs> to raise money for deer. It's our annual Deer Drive. <laughs> I consider myself a Deer Drive legend. Mad Riders on uh, Windows and XBLA. Never heard of it. Arcade Racer, some nice looking tropical tracks. Oh, Long Live the Queen on Windows, our final game. So this is a interesting strategy game. You play a princess about to become a queen. You're balancing the social aspect while learning and gaining combat and magic and politics and this is a game where failure feels like a second chance not a game over mm -hmm. because you're going to constantly fail and there's multiple ways to lose as well as multiple ways to horribly horribly lose as well as multiple ways to win and the point is not any one singular ending the point is finding your own specific ending. Interesting. Thank you guys so much for listening. We're going to tell you who died during this period, and then we're going to do a birthday quiz. Real quick, we want to get out some plugs for ourselves. Uh, Patreon.com slash LazerTime supports the show and the whole network. Fidget Game Apocalypse 302010 Laser Time and bonus time. And there's a bunch of stuff this weekend. We'll be yelling about Rescue Rangers and Kids in the Hall. And um, five bucks is all we ask. Supports the whole network. Uh, everybody benefits. Thank you so much for everyone who's still supporting us. Uh, Di, where can people find you? They can find me on the Twitter at ListenNerd, L-E-C-I-N-E-N-E-R-D, or follow the show at 302010podcast at 302010podcast. Coming up next week, the aforementioned Jack Ryan movie. <laughs> we also have kind of the debut of the guy who ended up taking over Jurassic Park, amazingly enough. And, and, and I think this is where he debuts his masterful pointing style. Mm. You, you, <laughs> you. <laughs> oh, the Jack Ryan movie, not oh, yes. not the Colin Trevorrow movie. And no. uh then Ridley Scott's going back to Alien, what, thirty years? You after? you told me this was happening right after our alien discussion and I should have shut my fucking mouth. Yeah. Oh god, this movie's We're going there and oh I can never say the name of this movie right because I love the critic so much. I'm gonna bring up the critic again this episode. <laughs> Every time I see that title, I just go, oh, no, Prometheus. Oh, no, Prometheus. That's <laughs> <laughs> Prometheus. God, the critic is wonderful. JR, where can people find you at? They can find me on the Twitter at J-R-R-A-L-L-S for about three more days after you listen to this because I am taking a social media fast for the months of June and July. No, what about your post on the Laser Time Facebook community? That's going to be up to you, good listeners, because I'm going to be off the Facebook, off the Twitters, off the Instagrams, not even going to listen to the news. Well, enjoy your 
comic strips? What do you do? I don't even know what you do. <laughs> we got to talk about who died. We only lost one person, as far as I can tell, this week in 2012 is when we lost Richard Dawson, who was 79. He was on Hogan's Heroes, and then he was the host of Family Feud for like 100,000 years. Nice plus 10. And, and, and Running yeah. Man? Oh, God, of course. Yeah. Oh, my oh. God. He is, oh, he so, is so, so great. It's in the, the best casting Man. in the history of casting because he's yeah. not really an actor guy and yeah, plays a sadistic I mean, version of himself in the yeah, post. Yeah, he started out as an actor and mm. then he became a game show host. He was, for, he was on Match so Game good. all the fucking time and then hosted Family Feud. He kissed all the women. That was the thing. And then for him to be on Running Man, oh, he was so perfect. It's like if Mark Summers was the villain in Michael C. Hall's Gamer. And- <laughs> Would have been watch amazing. That? Yeah. Me too. And you, oh, so close. It looks like you lose your life. Physical challenge. You don't get the British Knights. Now it's time for the b- 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 birthday quiz. I don't have to say it. Oh, birthday is a doodly do. A ding dong doodly doodly ding dong do. Oh, birthday. All right. Who was born during this period of 302010? Born June 1st, 1937, turning 85. Ooh. Still alive. Still alive. All right. Still with us. Still alive. Right. He's the son of a teacher and a barber. And Max just this week, oh. no, just this week, he, along with deceased Senator John McCain, was banned from going to Russia. Oh, shoot. I, did, I saw some of the names that were on that list. And mm-hmm. I... But I, I love the fact that a dead guy was banned <laughs> along with a living guy. <laughs> Graduated high school, 1955, turned down a partial drama scholarship and ended up in the U.S. Air Force. Worked as a dancer in the 1864 World's Fair. What? Made his off... I hope not 1864. Oh, made his. <laughs> <laughs> Worked as a dancer at the 1964 World's Fair. Worked as was a corpse un- puppet in the 1964 World's Fair. Was he, was he a union guy or confederacy guy? Because <laughs> we might have to cancel him. Look at my gray uh, butt. Okay. Made his off-Broadway debut in the 1967 show that I'm not going to say the full name of, the... N-Word Lovers. That's the name of it. Oh. It is about the freedom writers during the American Civil Rights Movement before um, debuting on Broadway that, that, in 1968's all-black version of Hello, Dolly. Ooh. It's not no. James Earl Jones. He's over 90 now. Uh, Harry Belafonte. No. No, he's older, too. Mm. Older than that? Movies of his, we've talked about it, including the television show, Ken Burns' PBS documentary, oh, The Civil War. Okay. Morgan Freeman. Yes. There. Oh! It was Morgan Freeman. I did not think he was that old. Oh, my God. I didn't think he was 85 yeah. either. Holy shit. 85? I thought he was pushing and, 80. Yeah, dude. Wow. That's when my, all of my grandparents died. So, what yeah. the fuck? Morgan Freeman, wow. let's treasure. Took all my control to not try to do a try Morgan Freeman. Try and talk Freeman like voice. Morgan Freeman. I wish <laughs> I could say that. Other movies Bonfire of the Vanities, Power of One, Lean on Me, Kiss the Girls. Amistad, Deep Impact, Along Came a Spider, Even Almighty, Gone Baby Gone, Bucket List, Dark Knight, Invincititis, Driving Miss Daisy, and Glory. I think, Glory. I think my, your pronunciation of Even Almighty <laughs> might be my favorite mispronunciation. <laughs> even Almighty? The, 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 the most expensive comedy of all time. Yeah, by a lot. I'm um, in this and I'm playing his Lord Jesus. And under African skies, wasn't it that we just talked about? Or no? Yes. What, what did he pop up? Anytime you need Nelson Mandela spoken about or played, 
I'm yep. here, Morgan Freeman. Yeah, well, he's, he does mm-hmm. it great in Invictus, man. Mm-hmm. 85. Happy birthday, Morgan Freeman. Yeah, happy Ooh. birthday, Morgan. Um, we haven't we haven't talked about Shawshank. We haven't talked about um nope. Seven. Nope. Um, man. Nope. Show you think you think we've done everything, but uh, no. But he's he's one of those guys that's like as this show has gone on, we've charted his career starting. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. we we talked oh, about that, him in that cop smart. movie he's in, like his his breakthrough performance where he's Street the star smart, man in like eighty seven. Oh, he's I so think. he's so tiny. He's so skinny. So, so good. And then we yeah just watch him go drive Miss Daisy Glory. Just, oh. Becoming everybody's grandpa. Morgan hey. Freeman. I won again, finally, after right. being decimated by there. this new program. Me. How? How did I get you? Uh, I kind of want to see an all-black performance of Hello, Dolly. That's interesting, because it's, <laughs> it's, it's a very New York Jew kind of show. Somewhere out there. There's a world beyond Yonkers. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for listening. Come as you are by Nirvana. It's on the charts in 1992. If you can believe it. So let's they, close they can do more than saw their guitars and scream. They can do a different kind of song. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it, like sometimes I remember even when I was watching MTV and I'd see the come as you are video. I'm like, Did this video costs money. It, it looks like <laughs> it looks like you just filmed a band through water and, <laughs> and you played this every day for two years. <laughs> I think that's one of the reasons music videos are dead. Like I'm not watching this again. Come as you are by Nirvana. I'll see you next week. Come and dust and mud, soak to bleed.